0: So massive thanks for those of you who are joining us uh, this afternoon. Um, massive thanks, uh, Richard, for taking time out. And uh, look, I, I didn't expect that we were going to be speaking so soon after the commercial summit. So it, for me personally, it feels such a long time ago now, yet it was just under two weeks ago. Richard, for those who don't know you, I, I, I tell you playing 2015 Rugby World Cup for Canada. Uh, There's there's a lot more to your rugby history than just that. You played for Leicester Tigers, I think London Irish. Uh, You've also coached as well. So do you want to just explain a little bit about your background? Yeah, I I, I,
1: I think I'll I'll do very briefly on my background Um, and then lead pretty quickly into what I do now, because I think that's going to be most relevant as to what people are interested in hearing about today. So um, yeah, Brendan, I- I'm an ex-pro rugby player. Um, I played for a couple of premiership teams, London Irish, London Welsh, and Leicester Tigers. Uh, played in the 2015 Rugby World Cup, albeit for Canada, as most of my friends remind me. Um, but still. Fantastic experience, and I left uh, Rugby in 2016 uh, to move into property investment, which I did for two years before pivoting into uh, executive coaching, which is what I do now. Um, So the reason that uh, I, I was keen to jump on with you, Brendan, here today is obviously since we last saw each other at the Commercial Property Summit, there's been some very big changes to the environment, to the economy, and to the way that we're now having to manage and live our lives. Um, that ties pretty pretty closely into um, to what I do as an executive coach, and it's my understanding that we're going to discuss a few points around that today, how anyone watching this um, might be able to best manage themselves, sustain them, themselves from a performance perspective, from a well-being perspective, uh, and to make sure that they're supporting those around them, because this is, uh, as we know, a very testing challenging time um hi there alfie looks like we've got uh, we've uh, got uh, uh alfie's on? bradley
0: so he, i think sorry bradley <laughs> i think bradley must be using uh alfie's laptop or or zoom account so um yeah. I, I just in, introduce you richard to, to bradley in case anyone else is interested bradley you, you're you're working i don't know if you can hear us you're working with alfie best at the moment um And Alfie spoke at the Progressive Super Conference, I think, last year. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Look, Richard, so people are going to be thinking about structure, you know, how to create structure in uncertain times. Because for lots of people, it may mean working from home. It may mean taking some time off from work. It may mean Reinventing yourself or looking at your business, and how can people put structure into what they're doing right now? Because this is sort of like almost, I don't want to de- degrade it, but it's almost like a rugby match, and um, you're not doing too well, and you really have to find the next level, or next levels, in fact, because people do realize this coronavirus is a bigger impact than what many of us expected i i hold my hands up you know um i was not expecting this impact whatsoever in uk watched it in china cool. and maybe it was a bit deluded i didn't really hmm. seeing the impact but there's certain impact I, you know i'm here in my co-working space i've got the private suite this afternoon uh, i might as well have all, all of the co-working space because literally it's it's less people than it was a couple of days ago certainly last week was a normality week in london but it's Mm -hmm. not so i don't want to focus too much about how it's changed but how can we change yeah
1: um yeah i mean very good leading um look just just to kick things off i'm i'm not a doctor i'm not an expert on covid19 or the coronavirus um just to to put this out up front do check the NHS website
2: for all the tips um things that we need to be
0: well, we're losing you there Richard for a moment together
2: um,
1: and uh, let, let's make sure that we're oh gosh <laughs> this is um, one of the other challenges that no, no doubt I'll mention later on is that a lot of our calls and our um, meetings will now be taking place uh, over things like Zoom and, and tech-based things. So this is invariably gonna happen, but I hope you can hear me now.
0: Yeah, I can uh, hear you again.
1: The point I was trying to make was, as, as it pertains specifically to COVID-19 and the coronavirus, do take proper advice, consult with the NHS website, make sure that you're doing things such as washing your hands regularly and so on. And in terms of what the value I think I may be able to give. Now, the current circumstances has created an environment that is gonna leave us predisposed to being highly
2: stressed. Um, People uh, people with acute anxiety disorders,
1: specifically related to COVID-19 and the coronavirus. um, This is something that's gonna cause people a great deal of stress. What we've got coupled with that is a new working environment. Many of us now are working from home. We're in close proximity with our families on a daily basis, which on the first instance might sound nice or manageable, uh, but we don't know at this stage, and we are taking this day by day, we don't know how long we're going to be managing this and what the impact of that is going to be on our overall performance and our well-being. So I want to firstly just tackle stress. So um, stress ultimately is a biological response, and I'm just hearing my pods no that, that was
0: fine richard and come on to you, oh that's better
1: i'm live onto the uh, onto the computer so i hope you can all hear me in this yeah
0: zone. that's brilliant
1: um obviously been doing too many calls on my earpods i've already run out of battery today <laughs> um so let's tackle stress let's look at what stress actually is now it's a biological part of our anatomy that we've inherited throughout the course of our our evolution and we share it with the animal kingdom. So stress ultimately is a biological response that from the environment around us will trigger an increase in heart rate, an increase in respiratory rate, it will shut down our digestive system and and our immune system to prepare our bodies for fight or flight. That is ultimately what the stress response is. If you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling stressed if you're worrying about what might come, you are, you're experiencing a fight or flight response. Typically, we'll feel it in our throat and maybe in our chest, particularly in our gut. That's what we have saying, such as getting butterflies in your tummy uh, or I had a gut feeling. That is literally your body's sympathetic nervous response, re blood and other resources away from your digestive system to your muscles to prepare your body for the conditions of fight or flight. Now this is very relevant because as humans, unlike in the animal kingdom, we're able to take this stress response a stage further. We're able to worry about things in the future. We're also able to ruminate over things in the past. The animals can't do that. Uh, As far as we're aware, no other animal has ever been able to do this. Now that's very useful. We're able to plan. We're able to um, reflect over things that have happened over the course of our lives. It's very useful, and it's a reason why we have got to where we have gotten as a species. However, we can allow things to manifest and go on too long, and things like anxiety and serious worry that can have a negative impact on our lives can start to take hold. And what we see as the well-being community and as performance and executive coaches, we see anxiety and stress. Being a key thing that we need to be able to manage over this coming period. So, what I want to. Richard? Very- so, so,
0: you, so, you're saying you can't really have performance without managing stress?
1: Uh, you can certainly have performance um, whilst ignoring stress. People do this all the time. But that's why we have phrases such as burnout and uh, acute anxiety disorder and depression. Typically, causes of. Um, uh, depressive or, or mental health disorders typically come because we've ignored our stress response, or we haven't reacted and adapted adequately to be able to deal with it. So, what I want to be able to share now is just a couple of tips in order to manage our stress response, to make sure that we're putting, we're stacking the odds in our favour, so that we're able to sustain ourselves throughout this period of which we're taking it day by day we don't know what's gonna come around the corner and what's gonna be there in a a few weeks or a few months time. So, point number one, I just wanna bring people's awareness or engagement into the concept of balancing stress with recovery. So stress, we use it as a term that, most people think of it as a negative term. It's actually very useful for us. If you're performing in the boardroom, in a meeting, out on the sports field, your autonomic nervous system is going to be in sympathetic dominance. That means your body's in a state of stress. You're in fight or flight. It's very useful. It's how we get stuff done. It's how we perform at our peak level. But there's a cost. It's not sustainable. And in the short term, we need to be able to balance stress with adequate recovery. And here's what we mean by that. Number one, sleep. Let's make sure that we sleep well. Sleep Well, anyway, more than half of us report to not getting enough sleep and, are not, and not enough quality when we are actually asleep. Things are only going to get worse with the current circumstances. So in terms of managing sleep, let's make sure that we prepare ourselves well for bedtime. Ensure that we've got a good sleep environment.
0: We've got blackout they, blinds. They, they, like to call, they like to call it sleep hygiene, don't they, Richard? Precisely that, precisely that. If you
1: haven't come across that term before, Go and Google it and start to look at exactly what sleep hygiene really is. We want to make sure that we're stacking the odds in our favor to be able to sleep well. Now, what sleep hygiene doesn't necessarily um, uh, tackle is that what we do during our day will impact the quality of our sleep. Now, if we are not
2: getting a physical exercise. It's of impact. That can sound
1: counterintuitive, but if we don't exercise enough, if we don't stress our bodies in a good way enough, it's likely that we're going to struggle to fall asleep and stay asleep once we are asleep. Alcohol is another huge contributor to impacting the quality of our sleep. You can have as little as two to three beers in an evening, or one to two glasses of wine, and it can delay the onset of restorative sleep by anything up to four to six hours
0: hours. Wait, just say that again, Richard. So two glasses of wine. Two so, glasses and,
1: So up to two glasses of wine, as many as two to three beers can, and it is subjective. Everyone mm. is different. But the majority of people, and when we do heart rate variability measurements, um this is something we're doing a lot of at the moment actually, is measuring people's stress response by wearing a chest-based device um, where we can see the specific behaviors during the course of your day that will impact your stress and recovery balance. Mm-hmm. The one that sticks out the most above all else is alcohol in the evenings. So to round this up, round this because I am conscious of, our, of the time that we have together, if you consume alcohol in the evenings, it's gonna seriously hinder your body's ability to recover and thereby deal with stress effectively. Not necessarily what we want to hear at the moment. Um, it, it, it would be very tempting for people to actually increase their use of alcohol during this period, um, be it to relieve boredom, uh, be it to get through the evenings for family members perhaps, <laughs> um, but just let's be conscious of the fact that it will negatively impact our stress and recovery balance uh, and protect, potentially expose us to having a um uh, a stress related issue further down the line
0: richard when you when you played at the highest level did things like sleep hygiene come in to the equation
1: yeah, absolutely um, sleep is the gold standard for balancing stress with recovery it's the ultimate recovery tool that we have sleeping well will make you live longer it will make you look younger it will give you more energy it balances everything else, else out through the course of our day. If nothing else that you take from this call is to go and become an expert in your own sleep, what works for you? We've already addressed alcohol. Intense activities, in particular intense exercise, late in the evening, can have a similar effect on our sleep as alcohol does. It can delay us being able to nod off um, and, uh, and capture those important um, restorative sleep hours. Because consider this, if you go to sleep for seven and a half hours, we would map that out onto a graph, we're asleep for seven and a half hours. If you've had alcohol in the hours leading up to falling asleep, or you've exercised intently, um, or intensively, sorry, uh, up until you fall asleep, there can be a delay before and it can be up to four, even six hours before restorative sleep actually ca- uh, kicks in and we're actually getting the recovery benefits. So although we've slept for seven and a half, maybe even eight hours, depending on what we've done in the evening can mean the actual time. We're asleep the whole time, don't, remember, uh, don't forget. We are actually asleep, but we're not actually getting the re- restorative impacts of sleep until three, four, five o'clock in the morning. When we consider that the deep REM, the rapid eye movement sleep, that deeply restorative sleep doesn't usually kick in until a couple of hours that we've already been in restorative sleep. You can see how we already miss out on the amount of sleep that's actually required, the amount of sleep that we actually need. And in times where stress is even higher, we need to be even more conscious of this.
0: So Richard, um, I I know we've got limited time today, um when this is a question from bradley when is the best time to exercise so because you you say in the evening is not ideal if it's intensive so you know some people talk about morning time as well there's a belief about that in fact if you go another level some people believe that you should not have anything to eat before you exercise in the morning there's a belief Score of that i'm not sure what that's called i've forgotten to be fair but there's lots of different schools um so what's your thoughts on that
1: okay so if i could share two things today uh and i had a list with about 10 things on it to actually discuss but i'm conscious we're not going to be able to get through it all the two things i'll discuss are sleep and exercise over this period given what the the way that we now Home. If we're not already, there's a chance that we will do at some stage and um, There's a chance that we're not going to be getting anywhere near enough the, the the amount of exercise that's that's actually required so some advice that we're seeing from the NHS and uh, and other uh, Advisory boards are, are to still get outside and have a walk get outside and get some sunlight So there are there is a link between exercise and the quality of our sleep and let me address one, one of them first up um, Serotonin, that's the body's feel-good chemical. That's what keeps us engaged and really, really, really helps with um, our performance during the course of the day. It can be stimulated by sunlight. It needs to be, can't, bulbs in your, in your room just aren't strong enough. They're only sort of two, three, four hundred lux.
2: Um, your sad lamps. Lux. The sun's hundreds of thousands of,
1: of, of lux. Those light photons, as they enter the back of your eye, stimulate serotonin. This receptors in the back of your um, retina will stimulate serotonin. Now, there's a balance between serotonin and melatonin, melatonin being the, um, um, uh, what, what will induce the feeling of being sleepy. If We haven't had enough stimulation during the course of the day, it can be very hard to start developing and creating melatonin when it comes to the evening. So- So that's we-
0: why the government, and Richard, I, I, I promise you 10 minutes. So look, this is bonus <laughs> time. So that's partly why the government has to encourage people to get out in a way, because according to your thoughts, if you're not getting the serotonin, then you will find it difficult to attract the melatonin. That- well, look,
1: we, we 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 struggle being in the northern hemisphere anyway. That's why we have a term called seasonal affective disorder, which is when during the winter months, when we don't get enough daylight, um, we we have a reduction in the amount of serotonin in our in our bodies, and that can leave us predisposed to mental health conditions, typically um, linked to depression, but also but but also anxiety as well. Um, so um, we, we, we're already well equipped to deal with this being, uh, being the, the geography and the, and the globe of where we live, right? Um, where we're seeing us, the, the advice that the government are giving of getting outside, basically in a long-winded way of me trying to answer the original question, what sort of exercise should we be doing? Get outside and do it. We're already being advised to go out and have a walk. Why not get outside and have a run? If you've never run before, why not go out and just try and run a mile? Because the day after, you might be able to go slightly further. day after that, you might decide to have a recovery day. But over time, the theory of marginal gains kicks in. Mm. And here's the, 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 real, the, real, the real beauty of beginning now an exercise regime, whether you've ever done it before or not. When you start exercising regularly, even semi-regularly. And consider this the more unfit you are, the quicker you're going to be able to improve your fitness. Highly tuned conditioned athletes find it very hard to get fitter because of the amount that they need to do. If you're, if you're in very poor shape, <laughs> i.e., you haven't exercised regularly for a long time and your diet's not good, um, and you would consider yourself to not be fit, um, you are going to be able to improve your fitness a lot quicker than someone who's already running, say, a half marathon two or three times a year. Um, So the odds are actually stacked in your favor. But consider this one. Once you start, the theory of marginal gains kicks in. Again, I would encourage you to go and Google the theory of marginal gains if you're not familiar with it. It's more likely, if you're able to force yourself, bear in mind, the first time you start a new exercise regime, it's horrible. Trust me, when I used to come back to pre-season, Day one of preseason, the first bit of conditioning we would do, it's awful because you haven't done it for a while. But once you push through, and it doesn't take very long, as little as a week, maybe two weeks. Now all of a sudden, you start to eat better. You certainly start to sleep better. You've had your you've had your photon shower from the sunlight, and you stimulated your serotonin, which is going to uh, stimulate the production of melatonin. Um, you're also more likely to encourage those around you. You might suddenly start having new relationships with your kids, you maybe doing things more physical with them on the weekends. And this is the theory of marginal gains. All of a sudden, all your other little behaviors improve by just up 1%. And across the board, if things improve by 1%, you get a compounded rate of return. And a huge rate of return. Over this period, and this is why I think exercise is such an important thing for us to consider focusing on during this COVID-9 crisis, this coronavirus crisis, is that you could come out the back of it a completely different person in completely different shape. The usual excuse that I hear as an executive coach when I'm trying to encourage people to get more physical activity into their days uh, is time. I don't have the time. I'm a partner at PwC, Um, I'm a director at Barclays, whatever it is, I don't have time to get to the gym and to exercise. I'm sorry, you probably do now. So taking that excuse away, what's left? What's stopping you from going out and and creating something uh, during this period? Creating yourself
2: a new body, but... Also has on those around on your family members.
0: Richard, we we we've lost you a few times on this call, but it's been fascinating. Look, I don't know if it's my end, your end. It, it could easily be my end, even in a co-working space. Um, look, people can reach you on LinkedIn. Um, hopefully, over the next few weeks, we, we. I promised it would be ten minutes, so I won't do more than another thirty seconds, but. Maybe over the next few weeks while we're dealing with COVID-19, we can bring you back if you have time at some point over the next few weeks. People can reach you on LinkedIn as well. Um, Cognicity is the company you work for. Do you want to explain how people can reach you and so forth? So people listening to this call after.
2: Yeah. Surely my social media profiles will be in the
1: comments somewhere, Brendan, would just be to to send me a private message. You can also reach me at um, r.thorpe at cognacity.co.uk, that's C-O-G-N-A-C-I-T-Y. We're we're predominantly a group of psychiatrists and psychologists. I I work in the performance side of the business, whereby um, rather than dealing with mental health disorders, which our psychologists and psychiatrists do, I look at performance. I, look with, I work with mentally well people to try and find the extra 1%, uh, to find the blockage that's stopping them from living the life that they want to live, uh, effectively closing that gap between where they are and where they want to be. Um, so um, yeah, more than happy to, um, uh, to to engage with anyone that wants to know more about that. Um, in this new world, we're not doing anything face to face anymore. We're doing it all mm. through Zoom. Um, or through other other sort of e, um, E-tools. Uh, e tools. Um, I'm I'm offering complimentary initial coaching sessions with no obligation. Um, just to, to uh, from a research perspective, we're very interested in, in compiling as much data as we can about the impact uh, of what's going on. So I'm I'm more than happy to work with people um, for an introductory coaching session um in order to explore that from our perspective but also for you to explore how best to manage um how how to manage this uh our our current
0: environment richard just just remind the listeners so the company's called cognicity and the cognacity sorry i'm I'm no good with names uh, um at the minute (laughs) cognacity um so um so people can reach you on online um just remind listeners your email address you, you mentioned it once yes so it's,
1: yes so it's r.thorpe obviously my name is being richard thorpe r.thorpe at cognacity.co.uk
0: richard i just want to say a massive thanks uh, bradley also um massive thanks for taking part as well thanks for those questions um and at some point hopefully we can catch up again on zoom Bradley, I will give you a personal call as well. So, um, maybe we can catch up as well. So massive thanks. Um, so we're just going to end the recording here. So I'm delighted this morning to be with Jay Howard. Feel free to join us if you uh, come online as well. uh, We have an audience member as well today, which is great to see one of our youngest members online. So, uh, the online community Jay so um, look it's a really I was going to say tricky time I'd like to use a few expletives but I'm not going to <laughs> in front of our yeah. youngest member um, so the market has changed that that's fairly obvious to anyone you know um, I suppose I say it's obvious to anyone is obvious to anyone in London it may not be obvious to people outside of London as much um, but do, first of all do you want to just introduce who, who you are I, I keep getting your title wrong I'm so used to saying auction house London manager <laughs> uh, the person who's uh, replaced you if anyone could replace you must be a bit upset with me no
3: I, I don't know I don't know if they've um, if they've replaced me with anybody but um, yeah so I, I was auction manager auction house London for, for six years um for about 12 years prior to that i was a, a, a trader where, um uh, and for 6 years of, of those trading years was at, uh, was doing it through auction and the rest was all um off market um uh, transactions um uh, yeah so i i'm, I'm a property expert uh, co author before the hammer falls with, with my business partner piotr rusneck um and now we're doing your property auctions which is a consulting uh, company um, consulting people on uh, how to buy and how to sell at auction um, uh, a couple of educational bits in there um, but for the most part it's consultancy so yeah really exciting times
0: so Jay just to clarify uh, how long have you been trading for 12 years 12 years okay and and that's a mixture am I right in saying in commercial and residential so not just purely residential
3: yeah, it's, um, I, w- I would say it's, it's, it's close to a 50-50, um, maybe with the commercial um, uh, taking a marginal lead, I think.
0: And geographical spread is purely London, Southeast, or is it a little bit wider?
3: Um,
0: I, I have, I've invested pretty m- uh,
3: throughout the country. Uh, I, have, I haven't really invested strongly in Wales. Um, I just don't understand the economy well enough uh, or the dynamics there.
0: When you say that, sorry, Jay. What when you say that, because when you say Wales, the name which comes to my mind is Mark King. So I'm yeah, sure you've heard of it. Yeah, and absolutely it should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um So what what do dynamics mean to you? So, in in layman's terms,
3: um, th- there are very basic metrics. So th- um decision points that you want to be making based on information and knowledge and experience that you have. Um, and I think it's one of the main reasons why I haven't really invested in, in Devon or Cornwall because I, I don't understand, I, I don't have the experience to understand um, how, how those economies work well. And if you're investing in commercial property, you have to understand the economies, um, where the business is, uh, where the trade is, and, and how all these different things work together um, and how they all impact your uh, or, or your buying decisions. So I bought in Scotland once. Uh, a bank, I think a Lloyd's TSB uh, in um, Renfrewshire. I can't, I can't pronounce half the things I bought, but so um, yeah, so I've, I've pretty much everywhere. The bulk of my, my um, investments have been um, Bristol, Birmingham, uh, Liverpool, Leeds, um, West Sussex, um, East Sussex, London, Greater London, pretty much, a few bits in Hampshire.
0: Joey, tomorrow morning, a little bit of a plug for my own event tomorrow morning at my online event. Um, look, um, this is one of the questions which Jack suggested to cover tomorrow, but I will ask today, it's about market predictions. I, I, I think it's very hard, personally, myself. Um. But, but in terms of market predictions, where, where do you think we're going to go? And it, I understand it's so hard to answer that question, but um, Jack must think it's feasible as well. Um, is it hard to answer that question?
3: If you understand how economy works, you, you know that there is a, a rise and fall in economy. And oh, economics. Jay, Jay that, that's
0: good. We've got Joan who's just joined us.
3: Oh, uh, Johanna, my favourite person. How are you? I don't know if she can leave a message, but Great having you on board, Joanna. Um, I think, with regards to your question, Brendan, if if um, if you're focusing on what are the market predictions, I've been saying for two years ish that there's a market crash on the way. I don't say that because I'm a mind reader or anything like that, but every eight to twelve years, there's a market crash. It's been it's been twelve years since two thousand and eight. Mm. You know, um, it's it. This is this is all expected. Um, Whether it's coronavirus um, has added um, uh, some more complexity to it, whether it's the fallout from Brexit, whether it's multiple other things, whether it's the fact that, you know, we haven't really left quantitative easing since 2008, you know, the uh, interest rates haven't gone up um, in that time. Uh, In fairness, we're not in a practical recession yet because we haven't had two quarters in decline. But... We, again, although we've been growing, we haven't had any real sustainable growth because the easing is still in place. If the government was to take the easing away, we would have been in recession from easily f- for the last 10 years. Easily. So it, it, it comes down to what kind of recovery we had outside of the property industry. So obviously we had a recovery in, in house prices and property prices. Um, in London, and actually probably stronger recovery rates regionally than London. Stronger and and more sustainable, especially in uh, Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, places like that. So, um, market predictions uh, expect um, instability or instability, um, and and I- expect um, a, a lot of challenges. Um, and if you're if you're right-minded, um, you're going to enjoy those kind of challenges. Mm. Like, like your wife going away and leaving you to look after the four-month-old baby, which is fine, which is fine, but it's a challenge.
4: <laughs> You're so not
3: screaming, which is great.
0: <laughs> so Jay, um, trading is going to be obviously more difficult in this market. I was talking. Well, oh, okay. So well, you have to understand
3: that your ability to trade is predicated on. Uh, your ability to buy wealth. Um, if you can, the banks haven't really come out and said too much about um, mortgage payment holidays. Um, you know, the government hasn't really come out and said how they're going to protect tenants well enough yet, which means you're going to have a large proportion of the population that are probably self-isolating like I'm doing today. Um, and, and they're not going to be able to either generate income or pay their debts or mortgages or rents and things like that when stuff like that starts happening you get pinch points where people have to make quick decisions either to sell or to exit and do things like that and that's the power of the trader if the trader can come along and solve that person's problem and buy that property with (laughs) enough of a a discount to make it worthwhile um, and then be able to add some kind of value because remember you're not talking about a flipping artist you just buys at X, and then trades it straight at Y. If you're a trader, then you're normally adding some kind of value in the interim.
0: You, you, um, you, you see, uh, I think it's an important point, Jay. So you see a slight difference between a flipper and a trader?
3: Absolutely. Uh, if you go back pre-2008, a flipper was somebody who um, exchanged on a property, subject to X, Y, and Z, with an assignable contract, and within a month, two weeks, 10 days, three months, had flipped it onto somebody else at a higher price, purely because the market had changed, normally because the the, the property prices had increased. That's a flipper. That's someone who just takes a contract and flips it to another person. A trader is someone who takes the property, buys the property, does something to it, sometimes doesn't do something to it, and then trades it onto somebody else, but they have to be the owner in order to trade. Otherwise, all you're doing is contract flipping.
0: All you're doing is contract living. Did you say flipping? Flipping. Flipping. Okay, I- interesting. So they're inter they're interchangeable terms because
3: a lot of people. Um, I I interchange them to be fair. Yeah yeah and it's it's fine a lot of people do but if you're if you're talking to like if you talk to someone like mark or or maybe even Ross Harpo who's a good trader and a couple of the other guys who trade uh if they're trading they're trading something if you don't have something then you're just flipping and there's nothing wrong with that because before you came up with the you know the term and all the training for for sources um that's what that 's what flippers were doing they were sourcing properties at x adding adding their, their, their piece of the pie and then selling it for why and then the bit in between was, was their profit and that's all they were doing uh, and there's nothing wrong with that because it takes properties that are unseen in the market so off market and puts them on the market
0: enabling more people to, 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 to buy mm. Jay, Jay I, I, I love your optimism um, in oh, saying... I'm not
3: optimistic <laughs> I'm, I'm scared um, but the only way to 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 address that is with a uh, um how can how can we carry on because whether we like it or not, the sun is going to set and rise again in the morning, the earth is going to continue to spin on its axis, and you have a choice you can either um survive or thrive um and the only way to thrive is to have that positive outset look for the opportunities, solve the problems uh, and and try and remain active. Um, Because if you don't, then, you know, God knows what happens. Um, I I don't know what will happen.
0: Mm. Look, some people might be listening to this call, Jay, and and thinking, how can we get more involved in trading? Maybe they're going to change strategy. I'm not advising them to change strategy either. Um, So, while we've got the commercial, Oh, I thought we we're going to go on commercial break there for a moment. <laughs> um, my, my commercial break would be about the post commercial summit, which is tomorrow. Um, so really delighted at 10 at 9am, 9am, not 10am. I prefer 10. Uh, but my, my, <laughs> so <would> my, I. <laughs> my, my choice of timing was even nine or, or 11 from Jack. And I said eleven's a bit too late. So let's, let's stick with nine. Um, so that was my g- commercial advert there. Um, you know my my monthly events are still running online um 26 of this month i'm delighted that we've got uh, rod turner who's on the panel uh we've got the likes of daryl norker as well from Lendwell. so daryl as people keep saying to me and i'm not surprised because i've known him for a number of years um very very knowledgeable daryl yeah. is and uh, he, he certainly is and uh you know, well, he, I, met,
3: I met him on the, the judging panel for the property investor awards. I'd heard of him, but the first time I'd met him was, was when we were in the, the judging room going through all the applicants. And, uh, yeah, it's very impressive. Like the way he can break down a deal and, 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 look at the risk and, and things like that. Obviously he's got the background for it, but it was very impressive. And I've got to know him a fair bit since then. He's joined the partners in property London community and it's, it's great having him there. Um, I mean, that's a powerhouse panel with just those two on there. I mean, mm. Rod and, and Daryl. I mean, do you need anyone else?
0: <laughs> I, I have to admit, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the other names. But there, uh, Rhea is joining us. Good, good. Rhea, if you have any questions, feel free to put them into the type box. Uh, I don't know how many more minutes I can keep Jay online for those. So, well, um, as,
3: as, long as, as long as she's not screaming, uh, I think we have, I think we have some time sometime
0: L- let me just say and send a message to ria um feel free to send over a question so look jay I-, I was going through about the challenges of being a trader challenges of all property s- strategies as well i don't think there's going to be any uh, strategy which is not affected you know they're all going to be affected in one way or another um i do read people saying it's business as usual um maybe it is outside of london in london you can see it's certainly not business as usual you've got schools closing i think well
3: i mean you you say that um about it maybe being easier outside of london but i think you have to understand how diverse a community there are outside of London. You've got some extremely very rural areas. You've got aged populations in certain areas. You have areas where a lot of the uh, tenant class are are either on like universal credit or low income housing. You uh, you normally have people who are buying um, income producing assets there on on a good yield. But you no know, six months of 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 this kind of market puts a lot of those people under under pressure. The differential you have with London is, is the capital value of the property is slightly higher, so the banks take um, more, more of a view in terms of how much, how much equity can be eaten up in six months of a mortgage holiday or a tenant not paying rent and the, the, the landlord having trouble servicing the debt, when you head that far outside of London, where the average purchase price can be anywhere between 20,000 if you're up in the northeast. Or uh, sixty to eighty thousand, if you're in, in in the the northwest, coming down slightly, even to the hundred hundred twenty thousand pound mark. there are there are challenges. They're all different shapes and sizes. Um, I don't think one region is going to have an easier time than another um, over it. Um, I think there are challenges
0: throughout the country. That, that's interesting. So even outside of London, which you know what? Well, one of its major industries is tourism. It is uh, going to be affected, but you you say it's a little bit too simplistic just to think about the industries. There's a lot more at at stake in terms of cash flow, stroke, um capital appreciation, which generally yeah, London you, is. You,
3: you you have you have commerce outside of London. Uh, people seem to forget that for some strange reason. There is okay, commerce.
0: Jay, J, um, oh, sorry, I just saw that. Oh, no oh you you can read it as well well i yeah. didn't realize I, I thought it um oh, so that's good um you, you continue your point and oh. then we can oh
3: yeah so you have you have to understand that there is there is trade and commerce outside of london you know you have a massive um, industry um in in the north which is you know based on the troubles that that surfaced in 2008 sorry one second.
2: What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the beef? What's the beef?
3: I'm tired. You are tired? One second. One second. You second. You're tired, bubs? Come on, then. come on, then. Oh no, I don't want to cut.
0: So look, um, Jay, are you still there? Oh, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm still okay. Here. Good. Well, there
3: she is. She just likes the camera. You want
2: to Look. Okay.
3: He's yeah, yeah. making a really good point about about um. You know, uh, trading and 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 business. Um, you know, you you have places like in in, in Staffordshire and Shropshire where you've got um, like the, the Jaguar. Um, uh, you know, um, where they're where they're building the cars um, in the UK, and you you have things like that. And
0: and that's same it, with Toyota and Nissan as well. Who've...
3: Toyota and Nissan, but I think they're somewhere slightly different. But you know, you you kind of you have to understand that it's it it's a domino effect. Um, especially something like um having to self isolate um or or businesses who aren't set up to to you know operate from a have a have a work from home policy, you know, Good, retailers. That's a exactly. very difficult thing for them to do, right? Um I was I was on a on a on the Partners in Property London WhatsApp group <laughs> yesterday and there must have been maybe in the space of five or six hours, hundred and twenty comments of Actually, people giving really, really good common sense. I think actually Rod was one of the main contributors. So if he's going to be on your panel, that, that's going to be very interesting about how the retail space may end up changing after this because change only comes about when people see that maybe something isn't working correctly or there are, there are pitfalls in, their, in, in, their, in, in how they operate. And I think this coronavirus or COVID-19, whichever way you want to put it, Mm. Um, is is highlighting a a lot of things um, that need to be addressed Um,
0: I've already read that for example Leon which is uh, run by John Vincent and Henry Dimbleby they're they're changing strategy themselves they they may not call it a change of strategy but they're saying we've got this space people aren't really uh, coming into our shops as such as much into our cafes um, however, people still need v- food, so I, I didn't quite understand the story whether they're going to actually deliver food from their premises or they're going to have a little supermarket in the actual cafe. I'm not sure which way is going to work. But, both uh, will
3: work, <laughs> and maybe yeah. maybe maybe they're listening to this, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're so, going to
0: do both. Who knows? So, um, um, so that that's you know, I think retailers are already understanding things. Are changing, um, and I'm sure there's other examples in in London particularly as well. So, um, Jay, um, I just want to address Ria's point. Do 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 you mind covering it? No,
3: absolutely. Yeah, of course, of course.
0: It's what Sam Sam Norris is one of the senior bit of plug. Even though Sam's not on this call, he still gets a mention. Um, so Sam is one of the senior finance brokers at uh, Bond Finance he mentions lenders are increasing interest rates next week or that's his belief anyway. Um, why? So what, what would you say to Rhea? uh?
3: Well, I, I, I think with the, with the change from the bank of England, I think the the bank, the banks were, it's not feasible for the banks to follow that suit downward. Um, and it's similar to the point that I made earlier on in terms of, we still haven't really exited quantitative easing from the 2008 crash, um, because everything's been going down, at, at inflation, all, all to kind of maintain a status quo. Um, that band aid needs to be ripped off. One of the reasons why I believe um, that the, the the lenders are going to increase their interest rates is because they need to. Um, you know, you're not getting anything through savings. And money has been the cheapest it's been for about 30 years. Uh, and something has to change. <coughs> Pardon you. And something has to change. Um, and I think interest rates is, is a rather subtle way to, to test out the marketplace. And I imagine they're probably going to do it for some of the, the, more, the more vanilla kind of um, uh, financial instruments they have out there. Um, I, don't think, uh, I don't think they're going to go... I think the development finance would be a very interesting route for them to go down, but I don't, I don't see that as sustainable because there's so much pressure um, to, to do developments. And at the moment, you know, people complain about being 10%, 15% stuff like that, but you go back 20 years and you'd be lucky to get within 10% of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, think it's, I think it's a case of um, them them probably deciding how they're going to distribute distribute that rise if they do it. Um, but you know, Sam's, Sam's got his ear to the ground and you know, he he does his, uh, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the game of, what's it called? The game of funds or the game of finance, whatever it's called. It's like game of thrones, but his own little thing. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. I have to
0: ask him that tomorrow. So I I, I, I think, ah, his podcast. Okay. Um, game
3: game of finance or game of fun. Anyway, it's a really cool, Play on words, but he does. He he's always kind of posting stuff, and he's always paying attention to, um, like the mood and the motion and and the, and everything that's going on with 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 a certain group of lenders. So, um, it, it, he probably he probably has some good insight. Um. But it'll it'll be interesting to see actually tomorrow what Daryl says at that point. If you were to I'm, I'm not sure
0: well. we've got Daryl on the line tomorrow. So that Daryl's one of the few who are who are missing from that call tomorrow at nine a.m. Hopefully I will be on that call at nine a.m. <laughs> Hopefully Zoom will be as well because uh, I, I because I noticed this platform people talk about it, um, but uh, there's a certain bandwidth I believe or too many people using this online software now. So which which is an issue. Um, Obviously, there's other providers as well. I think other people possibly look at other providers as well. Um, So just to reiterate tomorrow, should be myself, fingers crossed, um, Jack Jiggins, um, Aaron Yahara, and I'm just thinking Alex Hearn. So it's interesting, we haven't heard from uh, chartered surveyors. So um, Ria, Joanna, and others, uh, if anyone else joins us, Um, I I really do value uh, contributions about who you'd like to hear um, over the next week or two. I say the next week or two. I'm hoping maybe it will be a little bit longer than a week or two. Maybe it will be a month or two or or who who knows. Um, So, you know, if there's people you want to hear who may not necessarily be at my events on a regular basis or who may be as well. Um, So just a commercial plug on Monday. At 2 p.m. I I am with Daryl online and then on Wednesday with Richard Thorpe. Um, I think both times are nice, comfortable times, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Jay, I just want to say massive thanks to you, uh, Exit Strategy. Um, So Jay loves Exit Strategy, so there was one Exit Strategy there. Um, uh, Massive thanks to Ria and Joanna for joining us. You're going to see me a lot more using as long as Zoom keeps up with the demand using this platform or whatever platform, but uh, as I say, using online uh, going forward. Ah, uh, thanks, Ria. You asked Ria points out Manish, who will be presenting for me very shortly. Manish Qatari says property went down, I, I, I haven't seen these figures, 19% in 2008 this year expect similar effect. You, you can see the notes, Jake, aren't you? I think. Look, well. I, I,
3: I didn't see that, but no, he's that, absolutely that correct. In, in, yeah, so it, he's absolutely correct. In, in some instances, um, it, it, depending on the area, the property went down, but I, it, on, I think on, on average, it went down 19%. <laughs> um, there's been some steady house growth uh, in London for the last six or seven years. Um, And actually that's become more stunted maybe since 2016. So for the last four years, it started to slow down again. I would say from 2008, the height of the market was 2012 to 2014. Um, Started to call off 2015, stamp duty and legislation changes to 2016. uh, And then Brexit and then everything else that's kind of unfolded in the last four years have had some effect. But I would say regionally, some areas have done phenomenally well. Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, Birmingham all have gone up in, in, in standard house price. But can you expect after another crash the, to see a similar drop? A- absolutely. Um, and you can't really argue with Man- Manish because uh, you know, it's his, his ability to, to, to see like uh, the whole picture from a holistic view and from a data-driven view um, is, is, is something that I really like, got a lot of respect for Manish, and um, I would, I'd probably find myself agreeing with him in that. Um, that's very much a sentiment, um i could i could get on board with i could see happening
0: uh, uh jonah uh, you you can read the notes Joanna wants to know more about j m piott's b romance okay um so i presume that's more about your next book coming out uh, can we say more about that or we're not allowed to we we're still we're still development stages on the
3: book um but it, it's it's um Obviously, the first book was very much an introduction um, to auctions and we we made that very much much like a, this is how everything works. These are the things you need to know in order to start being successful at auction. The second, the idea behind the second book is um, that we're probably going to point out all of the bad things that can happen, all of the mistakes that we've seen happen, and have real life horror stories from people who have been tortured and, and made those mistakes. So the second book is going to be, if you don't want to listen to what happened to the first book, this is what can happen in the second book. So, but hopefully that builds a, a whole picture around it. But um, I think at the end of every chapter there, we're going to have a success story about someone who made that situation work, how they made that situation work. And if we don't have a success story for that, we will, we will talk about how we would solve that problem to, to make it not an issue anymore. So how we would add value by, by solving that issue.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to learn auction trade more from you, Jay. Um, look, it, it, in terms of people uh, finding more about yourself, Jay, partners in property is one way. Um, I'm sure uh, we're going to be online at some point fairly soon. I'm trying to keep on a regular basis so people know every Monday I've got Daryl certainly for this coming week and every Wednesday we've got uh, Richard Thorpe as well Um, and and maybe I I can bring Jay in on a more regular basis uh, while we go through this coronavirus or or COVID-19 people got two different names for it Um, it's a bit like Flipping and trading people using different names inter- interchangeably and maybe they shouldn't but um, that that's what happens um, Jay, I just want to say massive thanks for taking time out today so um, Ria and Jonah do you have any more questions um, I'm sure the number of people who are going beyond these calls will grow, so in many respects you've got first advantage over those who are going to join us at a later time um, no okay brilliant jay i I look forward to seeing you very soon whether that's online which for most of us is online at the moment rather than in in a room setting so um massive thanks and i'm sure i'll come back and possibly if you have time next week maybe on thursday or depending on your schedule um then we, we can catch up again, possibly at my preferred time, which is 10 o'clock rather than 9 o'clock, as you, yeah. As yeah. you I'm know. Yeah,
3: I don't look good at 9 o'clock in the morning, so 10 works fine 10. for me, Brendan.
0: Brilliant. So if, if we yeah. can get something yeah. there, I um, really do appreciate it. Massive thanks, Jay, for your time this morning. Ria, um, I know you mentioned Manish a few times. I will get Manish to do a, if I can persuade him, an open call Zoom um, as well, so we can go through some of the figures you mentioned as well. So uh, do watch this space. And if there's people you'd like me to invite also, thank you. So I'm delighted this afternoon to be with um, the co-founder of Acoid, Lowry, uh, Oliver, or Ollie Lowry. So um, based in Hackney, or around Hackney, um, Bethnal Green area, East London, the key thing. Um, and I spoke to Ollie earlier this week and said, look, I'm doing an interviews with interesting investors, developers, um, and property professionals. And I said, um, you know, obviously, the attention has moved on to COVID-19 or coronavirus. And I said, could we do an interview, short interview, about 10 minutes about how um, Akroyd Lowry is dealing with the issues of coronavirus, because I saw Ollie put a post out, business as usual, um, or business not quite business as usual, but certainly using alternative different strategies to continue with their architectural practice. So Ollie, I just want to say massive thanks, first of all. Um, you can go through your background in a little bit more detail about who you've worked for um, before you uh, co-founded akroyd lowry as well do you want to just
5: uh, okay well i don't know about the background but for the past five years we've been running akroyd lowry me and john um, so uh it's an innovative practice in any case um we found with the, the the new challenges put upon us we were already pretty well set up to deal with them because we've always invested a lot of time and money in developing things that use sort of virtual technology to allow our clients to be at the heart of our our scheme so what was just playing in the background there was um, us. Yeah, this was yesterday. Um, this is a hotel scheme. I don't know how to turn the volume down. There we okay. go. This is a hotel scheme that we're designing for Evan Main Donald, who I'm sure you guys know, Evan of Melt Property. Melt Property. So this is a 155 bed apart hotel, um, and we, with any new instruction, we are now for the foreseeable future until people are allowed to contact each other again we're sending out vr headsets they're worth about 300 quid um and they've got inbuilt that you connect them to the wi-fi and then we can actually talk to an avatar of our clients so we can be anywhere in the country they can be anywhere in the country with a wi-fi connection you can see this was us yesterday so antoine who's the project architect was hosting uh, the session and then this is the client looking down on you can see it in a, in a number of different views but this is a Looking down on the site like it's a kind of model, but um, you can also change the kind of time of day. You can uh, and you can walk around in it. You can mark it up. So, is this said, Matterport
0: or not Matterport?
5: Matterport's for the stuff that already exists in real life. This is all three D models that we build. But the point is, we can have multiple users talking to each other with these virtual reality headsets that we're sending out. So, any new instructions. This is part of the normal standard offering. It's actually better than designing in the normal way because as a client, you can't actually get inside your building in any other way than using VR unless you build it. So mm. we think it's pretty amazing. And it's stuff we've already been working on. Um, we've just, you know, sped up the implementation of this and made it work. So anybody that's interested please get in contact. If We've got a project that you want to work on. We're sending these headsets to planners as well so that we can do pre-applications so you
0: computer. you can physically step into the... Can, can you show us how you step in? Is that possible? Okay. Is that tricky?
5: We don't oh, it, this might
0: not work because you have to use a VR set to do it.
5: This is, the kit um, this is 400 quids worth of Oculus Quest
0: Okay <laughs> So does this technology allow you to climb steps as well?
5: Uh, well, you can you can navigate anywhere that you can navigate with the joystick so you can fly, you can walk, you can go upstairs. Um, but yeah, you just put the headset on and then with this controller, you need to connect it to your wifi. So it presents the screen, it says connect to the wifi. Then we give you a special code. The viewer's already set up and we will give you a special code and that will log you into your particular project. So we upload them and we've got all of our projects are on the cloud in any case. So depending on which client you are, you get a different code and you get connected to a different project. And again, as I say, we, we're sending these to planners, we're sending these to investors, leaders of councils, anyone where we need business continuity for them to understand our buildings, we're sending a headset to, so that, as I say, it's business as usual, but slightly different tools that we're using.
2: Mm.
5: That's one side. And that's, that's a design tool, but we've also got a kind of sales tool. So if you're an agent and you're going, well, how am I gonna do viewings now? Um, we're sending out these, uh, little headsets, which are, these are quite cheap to produce. Um, so it's a Google Cardboard. You Set it up like this and it's got a QR code on the front of it. So you just scan that in and it'll automatically take you to CGI's of our project. So if you're trying to sell a house or you could even take 360 photos, um, we can host them online and then with the QR code, your phone will put your phone into here and then you put it on and you can you can look around the space that you're trying to market. So that's pretty clever for agents. Um, so we've got different tools that um, are used at different stages of the project, but the point is to make sure that projects don't fall behind because of this and that you know business keeps going.
0: Oh, Ollie, can you just explain the difference between a normal VR set, which you've just shown, and the cardboard one? So what is the difference? Is it graphics, imagery, which is different? I know they're smaller in size, part, I understand. This
5: uses your phone, so you just use your phone. And the, whereas this has got a computer inside it. So this is, this is, the, this is a whole computer and a viewer, um, and it connects to the internet. This one is just some cardboard that you put your phone in, but you, because of the QR code, your phone is given an app, basically downloads an app that allows you to view these 360 images. And again, we give you a code so that you get the right images.
0: But, but, but for the user perspective, what, what is the difference? Is it the fact that one's got better, what's that? I know the cost is going to be different, but is it the better resolution?
5: Well, or? yeah, with your phone, your phone's computer is not, you know, it's quite good, but it's not, it can't render as fast as, as this. So this will give you a much higher quality experience. And you can also walk all the way through your building. This one, you just have, different kind of uh rooms that you kind of you, you can activate a different room but you can't walk through you can't fly around this one is a fully you know it's a fully functioned computer that sits in here so you can you can basically process graphics at a much higher resolution much more quickly and do much more challenging things but this is 400 quid and this is two quid or something
0: wow the production is is that that's that's amazing um so look there are still going to be challenges. Um, I understand talking about uh, planners can use these tools. Obviously some professionals may still want to visit the property. For how long we're going to be experiencing that challenge. Um, That's a good question. But in terms of access to this, so this is a live project right now in Kennington. Um, Just to summarize, so this is a project of melt property um, and just to make sure people realize, so the VR sets, the headsets would go out to planners, um, council leaders potentially.
5: So with this, on that particular project, we've already done two pre-applications, but we used the VR headset in the pre-applications. That was when we could all still meet face-to-face, but we still brought the VR headset because it allowed the head of planning to experience the building from street level. Um, And we were able to really uh, get his buy-in that that our design proposal was appropriate for the site because he could walk around that and and view it from any any view. And um, that was probably, I think it was the first time, it was definitely the first time that Lambeth had ever used a a virtual reality kit in their pre-application process. So on that one, um, we're not—we don't need to now send out the headsets to anyone other than the client, because we've already, you know, we've already done our planning engagement. The application's due to go in shortly, um, so we're just kind of wrapping up that, you know, that that bit of design work at the moment. But it's good to still communicate with the clients. But for any new projects going forwards, we, you know, we're happy to engage with planners and leaders using the same technology. Yeah.
0: Okay, look at another question. So in terms of those who get access to the VR sets for Evan's uh, project um, For example, could a construction team be using VR sets as well?
5: Yes, um, I hope that by the time they're trying to build that project this whole thing's blown over because it's not gonna be on site until next year Um, But you know theoretically VR allows an interface between a client and a construction team that if you don't want to have to meet face to face, then this is going to be your best way of understanding it. You're still going to accompany that with a load of drawings, but it, you know, it can, it can help with a contractor's understanding of the space. And we've used, we've used it on, on complex refurbishment projects where we're kind of threading ductwork through existing trusses. We've used the VR to help subcontractors understand those kind of, those service routes. Because you can kind of take away the plasterboard and just see the, you know, the proposal for where the the servicing is meant to run.
0: So I did promise it would be 10 minutes. My final question. So great that in the first stage construction team can see what your vision is like. How can someone go the next step? So let's say someone who's a sealant and turn charter surveyors maybe they can't necessarily get on site uh, all the time. Is there a way or would that be using something like Matterport to see how far the project's gone down?
5: Yeah. I mean, uh, you could do it with the, I think surveyors are using drones, but they're kind of using their phones and, and drones to do visits. I think you can, you could theoretically connect a VR headset to a live 360 camera or a Matterport. So I think the applications are only going to grow more and more This, this, you know, this, particular set of challenges has made us, as I said, implement stuff that we were already doing quicker. It will now also force us to innovate more. Um, we see this as a, this as an opportunity to kind of grow our market share because we think we were so far ahead of most people in terms of what we're doing with VR. There's now a sudden demand for it. We've been phoned up by the Sunday Times, uh, no, yeah, Sunday Times Magazine to um, make a comment about how VR could potentially keep the Um, how's market um so you know we're sort of in the thought leadership role in this space but you know we're we're just looking at it and going well there's more and more applications that are suddenly going to have to happen design sales construction there's always going to be an application for vr technology now Uh,
0: my my very last question How, how can people reach out to you ollie
5: uh, you can, any way you want really, go on our website, at acroidlawry.com. There's some contact forms on there. Um, you can follow us on Instagram or on Facebook or any of the normal ways. I'm sure Brendan can supply our details. The other thing that we'd like to sort of advertise at the moment for developers is that we have on our website a free uh, capacity study tool. So if there's a site that you're looking at, again, this is like remote technology. We were already using this. You can just click on the link, put in your details of the site and we will send you back within a few days a site capacity study and a planning note. So again, no need to meet on site. It's all going to be automated. It was already there. Uh, now again, it's another another of our tools that is suddenly um, becoming very useful because we don't have to have that face-to-face. We can understand the brief from the tool that we've already created, supply back a very useful planning note and capacity study that will then allow the developer to make an offer at the right price, um, which I think in this climate, there's, you know, there's going to be some opportunities to acquire sites uh, probably for less than, than prior to this.
0: Mm. So just explain that feasibility study again, Ollie. So in terms of getting access to that tool, is it a downloadable on your website? Is that correct?
5: Yeah, it's a link on the website. So I should just be able to show you if you go to www.acroydlawry.com, There's our website. Go down to the bottom and I can send this link to you, Brendan, so that you can send it out, but it says free site capacity study and you can see that's one that we've done before. Um, and then there's a form here that you fill out. And as I say, that has enough information on that that we will be able to send back to you within a matter of days, a finished site capacity study.
0: Mm. Ollie, there's so many more questions. I did promise it would be 10 minutes. I, just a bonus last question. So in terms of the VR, what projects is it suitable for? When do you, i.e. in terms of what size? Um, obviously the bigger the better, but what's the bare minimum?
5: Um, so we've used um, that technology. We built this company from the bottom from doing house extensions for people. We started using it when we were doing house extensions. Um, This is, if I can just maybe find, yeah. So this is a three year old who who used the VR when we did a house extension a few years ago um, and he jumped on the sofa that didn't exist. You know, we used it as a, as a consultation tool with clients. So again, if you're, even if you're doing a domestic project, we can send you a headset and we can then communicate via that to talk about your house extension. Last week, I had, when we could still have contact with people, I had two guys in the office looking at a 650 unit scheme on a piece of industrial land in East London, and we used the same technology. You know, so it's, it's totally scalable. It, it, I don't think the, the scale of the project isn't really the problem, as long as the overall fee is more than 400 pounds so that it can <laughs> allow for us to buy a headset and send it to the client.
0: So, so the key thing to 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 know for people is you've done it in for projects as small as extensions.
5: Yeah, we used it on when we fitted out our own office, you know, which was like 100k or whatever. We still used it on that. It's just a really good design tool. It's look. £400 in a construction project is absolutely very little. You know, the minimum you're going to be spending on a house extension is probably about hundred grand. So you can still afford to put one into the budget. You'll probably save the money back because you'll make quicker decisions, better decisions, more informed decisions. Um, So yeah, it's applicable for any scale of project, really.
0: Okay. Ollie, I'm sure we will catch up at some point, possibly even next week. Um, I just want to say massive thanks. And I'm sure there's going to be lots of questions. Maybe the next time we can catch up, We can make it a live interactive in terms of people joining us on the call as well. So thank you.
5: That sounds great. And if you can put links to the site capacity study tool and I'll put my email address on it and people can get in contact. Brilliant. Thanks, Ollie. Thank you very much for having us on. Cheers. Thanks. You're welcome. Go ahead, Alex. I think we were on to Kirsty.
0: Kirsty, do you want to unmute and uh, share some now? Unmute. Okay, Kirsty. <laughs>
4: yeah, I'm not oh. muted. So I was ju- I was just saying, Brendan, that um, you know we've been here before and we'll be here again. And um, office space is interesting. So I I think some of the smaller businesses may well find that they can work differently. So because this is forcing us all to innovate, this is forcing people to work remotely and use technology as they've never used it before because they haven't needed to. But I, do, I don't think we'll see a massive change in the bigger office market because the bigger firms will always want the bricks and mortar space. Um, they, they'll never innovate to the point where everybody works at home and everybody. So if we went back to 2008, um, nothing much has changed since 2008 in the office market, if I'm honest. So it slowed down for a long time. Rents dropped. And then 10 years later, we're, we're still at similar occupancy levels as we were then. But where I think it will change in offices is that smaller businesses will make different decisions about how they work with their people. Um, so for developers, if you've got an office element in your developments at the moment, I, unless you're doing a big grade A office development, um, yeah, I think you need to think very carefully. and maybe just put things on hold while we work out what the fallout of this is going to be over the next few months.
0: <laughs> Kirsty uh, I don't want to jump in too many times but industrial where, where do you see that going or, or, or is it really too much of a knee-jerk reaction as well when people say you know industrials because they're looking at the likes of deliverer and deliveries during this time of crisis and be fair Possibly is a knee jerk reaction, but where do you see industrial? Because people talk about it as a great opportunity anyway.
4: Still a great opportunity, and it's only going to get better. So, well, better as in stable, um, and rents will be growing, but yields will be dropping um, because it will be in such high demand amongst investors. So, investors who are too afraid to uh, hold on in retail and are not sure what's happening in office are going to put their money into industrial. Um, So, yeah, you're going to need to be pretty savvy to get a good return um, initially out of industrial. The best thing to do is to develop industrial.
0: So So develop it yourself. (laughs) Sam, um, can you hear me? Sam? Sam? Maybe you can't hear me. Um, Just give me one moment, Sam. So you can hear me, Sam, yes? I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) I <laughs> know. Oh, uh, look, final words because uh, we've got the last five ten minutes now.
6: Mm-hmm. Um, I think just sharing what everyone else has said. Really, we're we're in kind of uh, strange times. Mm. And actually, I really wanted to pick up on a point that Kirsten just made about innovation. Um, I, I've told the story a few times that back when I was a uni and I studied history, you know, I studied the wars, and we talked about how in adversity there is opportunity, and and obviously innovation happens. In difficult times and I think this is one of those times where we really could push forward technology and, and innovation and remote access and, and all this kind of stuff and, and really we could, the, the whole world um, of working practice could, could change uh, quite dramatically. You know, particularly with me in the banking industry, typically that has been an industry that has needed physical people to be in physical offices, you know, some of these larger offices that Kirsty was talking about um, and I'd like to see that actually um, a lot of the, the, the remote access that's being
2: inflicted
6: on the types of businesses that normally wouldn't like it, uh, they're seeing the benefit of it. We might see actually as a result of growth in remote work, video calls like this. Um, and I think, yeah, what are going to be saying that the big offices, uh, you might see a bit of a decline in, in the long term and the, the smaller spaces where there's hot desking and all that kind of stuff might become the the work environment of the future so i'm always a glass glass half full kind of person and i think that as much as there's a lot of negativity going on at the moment people are very very worried we have to look at the positives of of situations like this and and innovation and technological advances might just be one of those things
0: sure Uh, alex let me just unmute you can you hear me alex yeah Yeah. Brilliant. So final words uh, and I hand over to Pamela and then Jack, and if there's any questions, get them in now, because we're coming towards a formal closure.
7: Yeah, I think obviously, I think it's just reiteration really. It's just, it's just, just sit sit tight and, and just, and just take stock. Um, just get your, get your, get your house in order as such. Um, just, just sort of don't do anything silly. I mean, obviously there are going to be opportunities there. Um, and and Kirsty made a good point about the industrial. I mean, industrial has been a, the the sort of steady, the steady eddy sector for the last ten, fifteen years, and I don't think that's really going to change. Um, it's the yields have always been a slightly bit lower. There's less risk there, um, but it's 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 um it's it's it will weather this weather what weather weather whatever we're going through at the moment. So um, yeah, really good point there to close on.
0: So let me just move over to Pamela. Uh, Jack are you still there as well? Yeah I'm still here. Okay I know you have to shoot off in two minutes is that right? Well I've got about five I've got a meeting at ten. Okay so let me bring in Pamela and then yourself Jack. Uh, Let me just uh Pamela can you hear me? Yeah I can. Okay and the audience can hear you as well that's great. Um so Pamela do you want just final words from yourself?
8: Um thanks my if anybody's interested and wants to know more about care homes, please do come and contact myself and Mike. We're happy to help. We're happy to share our information with you. That's not a problem at all. Um, yeah, contact me, Pamela Drew. Um, so it's Pamela. Pamela. Sorry, it's Pamela. Pamela Drew at
0: CatharlistInteriors.co.uk,
8: oh. um, and I'll put my numbers out later. Not a problem.
0: Brilliant. Um, or you can reach Pamela through myself. I just wanted to give Duncan opportunity to have some final words. I'm not sure if Duncan is still there. Uh, Duncan, are you still there?
9: Yeah, I am. Yeah, I was just typing your message, Brendan. Thanks, because I wanted to make a point. So, uh, let,
0: let me just get you on uh, camera. Okay. Uh, brilliant. Okay.
9: Yeah, I just wanted to make a point. Actually, Pamela, I'm going to touch base with you and drop your line later about care homes. And it was about that, really, that, all the, we, you know, we talk about sort of – Putting our house in order i think that's really really vital excuse me um but but don't panic and jump sectors i think that's really important you know i'm getting people some people coming to me saying right i'm scared now of 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 residential in that area what 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 else can i do and i think this is really dangerous because there's people in those sectors already and they know what they're doing and they're putting plans ahead and 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 putting their house in order to make sure their sector and their expertise is safe coming. forward so just because somebody is a residential expert don't think as Pamela will I'm sure no doubt agree you are now a care home expert I mean even a residential expert is not an HMO expert so please you know don't, don't think of jumping ship without absolutely full knowledge or help um, so we are getting we're getting residential developers talking about the care home projects and I want to talk to Pamela but it's it's because they're seeing the opportunity but there's a danger there as well. So don't, don't get your fingers burned because if you think it's bad now, it'll be worse when you've flung all your efforts into something you know nothing about and there's a whole load of people out there who know a lot about it. So I think innovation, absolutely, but in, innovate within your own sphere of knowledge. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I I completely agree with that. I, I think that the, the, in in the current time, I'm actually jealous that that Pamela's been been you know going on about design and details mm-hmm. like that. We're not focusing on any of that. We're focusing on 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 making our business survive in the sector that it's in. Uh, it's bettering our position in us in our own sector. Um, I think am I am I back? Sorry, you you I'm, are you. We haven't lost you, Jack. Yeah, yeah, so so I, I completely agree with that. It's about there shouldn't really be anyone focusing on industry change at this moment in time. This this these next few weeks, when it's going to be cash-strapped, uh, lots of volatility in the market, but again, lots of opportunity in the market. is going to be is is going to be separating the wheat from the chaff in in each specific sector. And if you're not knowing your eggs in your own sector, you get you're going to really struggle. Um, and, and like Duncan said, it's. You're, you're going to a different sector and, and the grass is the grass is greenest where you where you water it uh, so stick to what you know and stick to what you're doing survive these next few weeks then maybe look at a, a, a strategy change or a sector change um it, is my my perspective on the current market
9: and So can, can i just one more thing brendan is that yeah case?
0: sure that's fine yeah
9: what jack said there what as with any, if we are recession or or whatever it is, but certainly this emergency at the moment, and uncertain times, there is inevitably going to be a bounce back. Now, whether that's in September or December or January or February, whatever, but we have big bounce backs. This is the cycle that the the Western economies uh, run with. And um, I think it is worthwhile preparing yourself for that. Now, maybe months ahead, but but and part of that is putting your house in order. But part of that and part of that is innovation. But be be a business person. You know, be an entrepreneur. Be think about that that way ahead. And I think Jack's right. You know, survive at the moment. But while you're surviving, don't be idle. And I think that's the key thing.
0: Mm. Look, um, I asked Aaron, who's on the call as well, any final words. So Aaron, just remind me about Thursday evening. Aaron's chairing the panel might be using Zoom webinar rather than Zoom meeting room because um, there's slight differences, um, which I've I've got to discover, to be fair. Uh, But on Thursday evening, um, we are on Zoom at 7 p.m. Just to let you know, every day next week, I plan to have a Zoom meeting. It's a bite-sized chunk. It's not going to be an hour long, apart from on Thursday evening. So Monday, Daryl knocker Uh, from Lendwell. Uh, We've got uh, Sam on Tuesday afternoon, so 2pm. Richard Thorpe, again, 2pm on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I'm just confirming one or two other panelists, speakers, investors, developers um, over this time period. I have to admit, I'm really impressed by the number of people on this call, which I understand is partly or mostly because um, of the coronavirus effect. People Working remotely. I just want to bring in Kirsty for any final words. Kirsty, any final words?
4: Um, I think yeah, just just echoing what everybody else said This is a time to just keep calm, work out what you need to do for your business, and and don't panic and have knee-jerk reactions and change your strategy. Um, mm. you know that's that's what that's what not to do. Um, right now you've got to hold firm. You know what you know. Um. Are there ways you can innovate in your business, and are there things that you've been meaning to do for a long time but haven't yet? So for me, I will finally be putting my online course together and getting it out there because everybody's mm-hmm. been asking me for it <laughs> for a very long time. Um, you know, and I think, oh, okay, I've got all this time. Right, I'm going to do it now. Everybody will have things like that that they can use to keep some cash flow coming in if other cash streams have. Um, dried up and if you've got tenants then please please treat them as equals they are business owners too they have or or they are employees they have lives just the same as us and the best thing to do is keep the communication lines open Um, you know don't don't push them hard for their rent if they can't pay it work out what's going to work for both of you
0: so look um uh, Duncan has asked me, am I going to be publicising the Zoom link? Um, yes, I, I don't know if Zoom is the platform which I'll be using long term, because, um, but but I'm using it at the moment. But yes, uh, I am trying to stream it with Facebook as well, um, so that's a possibility. Um, I just want to say a massive thanks because I I didn't know if this call would work today, hand on heart. I'm not an online person. I prefer live meet. So look, initially I said to Jack um let's do this call sam pamela um alex and i didn't know who was going to join us i just want to say a massive thanks for taking time out today and i look forward to seeing you uh next week at some point um live interactive calls there will be uh next week from monday afternoon onwards and a call to action is if there's someone you want me to interview bring online uh, let me know um in in many respects, my events are global now, uh, not just London based. Um, To be fair though, I would say much more of my audience is going to be more interested in what's happening right here in London, maybe in the Southeast and and, and UK as a whole. So I just want to say massive thanks to the exhibitors at the commercial summit for making this possible. Um, Alex um, has dropped his uh, website. Um, so that international man of mystery Sam's saying so yeah I, I do see a change in Sam um, how even for event organizers they, they they really have to think what do we do it, it does change your perspective as well uh, rather than me rattle on Jack any final final words no just um every see you uh, next I, week I mean the, the, the best thing you can do in these current times is to be on social media stay in contact with your peers that have businesses as well see what they're doing look after your tenants if you can uh keep your bank on side stress test your business and uh and and wait for the the rain to stop thank you thank you all of you Peace for up, being bro. part of today i'm delighted this morning to have sam from bond finance on board alex Hearn uh from Sealands Hearn, and also Pamela Drew. And co-hosting this event with me is Jack Jiggins of EXP Property Investments. Sam, so um, you you explaining that you're one of the senior finance brokers at Bond, along with Callum, um, Callum who presented at the commercial summit. Um, I know there's going to be lots of question marks about the 0.1 uh, base rate. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But is there anything you want to add in the meantime about yourself and how people can reach out, connect with you. Yeah, well,
6: while I was saying before, just, um, you're right, I'm one of the senior brokers at, um, at, at Bond Finance and we do specialise in the more specialist type of finance. Um, you know, uh, Residential mortgages are not necessarily our thing, but uh, the commercial finance certainly is. And I was just explaining that commercial for us doesn't necessarily mean necessarily just the asset, but the, the type of finance that we're arranging. So certainly we would include things like bridging and development finance under our sort of commercial proposition um and you're quite right uh what you were saying before um i personally myself just uh just launched a new podcast i think I've, I've brought it forward because of everything that's going on to try and keep people in the know uh which is called the game of loans podcast um uh, i think very clever use of wording i thought and um so we're going to try and put out as many of those as possible and i think we're going to help
2: with a few of those uh
6: <clears throat>
0: so, Alex, uh, let me just uh, come to yourself. Alex, Sealance Hearn, hopefully I've got the title right, co founder of Sealance Hearn Chartered Surveyors. Your specialism is project monitoring uh, QS. Do you, do you want to just explain a little bit more about sealants Hearn and your specialism?
7: Yeah, cheers, Brendan. So, yeah, we are a building consultancy firm, so, we are a firm of Chartered Surveyors quantity surveyors and building surveyors and project managers so we advise developers landlords um, and property lenders on on sort of project monitoring roles um, across most commercial sectors and also residential um, so yeah i mean that's about it really i mean we do a lot of um uh, of like i just said monitoring for lenders um, which I think is going to be um, become more crucial if um, over over sort of the next couple of quarters once we get through this, um, and also the project management side of things at the moment is is um, is also an interesting space with with everyone sort of taking stock and, and checking their contracts to see where where delays um, where delays leave them really.
0: So thank you, um, Alex. Let me just move over to Pamela. Uh, Pamela. Um, Catalyst interiors um, I, I keep seeing posts now about care homes all, all the time in my threads I know Catalyst isn't just focused anymore on care homes but that's one of your specialisms for the last 20 odd years um, so do you want to just explain a little bit about yourself and, and Catalyst interiors
8: yeah absolutely thanks Brendan and good morning everybody um, yeah I've been involved with Catalyst um, for on and off for the last 10 years I suppose and I am now working with them to um, expand our, I suppose, our different business avenues. But what we've seen at the moment is lots of people coming back thinking, asking questions about how do you open and how do you support a care home? And it's quite interesting that all of a sudden it's happening. And I don't know if people are thinking this is an avenue that they could go into instead of tenancies and HMOs, etc. I don't know. It's quite interesting, but I've come along today to talk about a little bit of design of care homes and any other questions that you need. So that's why I'm here. So thanks.
0: Let me bring Jack back in because I, I didn't really do you a good service, Jack. I didn't say who XP Property Investments is. Um, so do, do you want to explain to the viewers, the listeners, um, who EXP Property Investments is? Yeah, of course. Um, good morning, everyone, and thanks, Brendan, for, for putting this on. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone on the call knows uh, knows me and what I do. But for anyone that's watching it, it's at a later date, EXP Property Investments is a partnership of myself and Ben Richards. Uh, Ben's got a design and delivery background, and we're an SME property development business that are based in the east of England okay um, and that's pretty much it for a for an intro for me but it's good to good to have everyone call a diverse mix of of people jack there were four key bullet points and i've added one on for pamela as well do you just want to summarize those key bullet points and then we can go into detail with our panel it's about covid yeah, if off, i dig them out yeah if you <clears throat> dig them out that that would be useful so the, the the key one first of all um sam uh, sam yeah, can I you did. brilliant sam norris from bond finance first of all let, let's go on the finance side uh, the base rate's gone to point zero um one um yeah. can you expand on that what should that what 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 should we take from that because you you've been quite vocal on a few WhatsApp groups. I'm part of a number of WhatsApp groups, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the ways which I'm l- learning at the moment because I'm not going to any physical meetings. <laughs>
6: um, yeah, I, I've been I've been smashed down quite a lot in a few of these groups because <clears> um, uh, may, maybe I, I don't have the best um, position in terms of the fact that because I work with lenders and banks so often, um, you know, maybe I don't have the um, uh, the viewpoint that a lot of people have that they're kind of the, the source of all evil in the world. Um, and I'm, I was trying really to kind of defend banks a little bit in in the fact that actually some of these um, interest rate decreases have not instantly resulted in widespread decreases in um, borrowing rates. And um, for me, I actually think there are a few very, very good reasons why this hasn't happened. And, you know, we saw that initial drop. Uh, which was a massive drop, you know, put not out of nowhere, but it was a, quite a quick decision that Bank <coughs> thing England made, and it and it just happened. It wasn't on their new, normal Thursday that they do them on. It was just kind of a bit out of the blue to a lot of us. And um, my instant um, feedback that I was starting to get from from banks and lenders that I was working with was actually they weren't considering passing on this saving to consumers and that sounded really negative and horrible but they were saying that in some instances they might even need to put certain rates up because of the contingency um, that they needed to have in the fact that they're a business like any other and they're struggling like any other and um, and so they needed to make sure that they had a, a good footing and a good business and unfortunately like every everyone else they have to think of the long-term view and the impact of this uh, you know this issue that we're currently having, and so even with the, the um, the, the, the now the, the second drop in interest rates, um, I don't actually envisage there being a huge change in, in a positive way for borrowers in um, in lending interest rates. I mean, interest rates are pretty low anyway, um, so from that perspective. Um they couldn't get much lower <clears throat> than than they are um, and and the, the banks are basically kind of feeding back to me that they need this margin at the moment because they're suffering like everyone else in their business. and what I tried to put across on one of these briefs yesterday was um, it would be much, much worse if a bank didn't uh, look for the future and and went out of business or didn't um or wasn't able to provide the kind of service and products that they are now because of you know making making business errors. Um, on on the wider public than just a few people having to pay a little bit more on on their their mortgages. And that wasn't really greeted uh, with the the greatest of uh, um, feedback, as I think you probably saw on one of the groups yesterday, Brendan, so I kind of shut up for a bit (laughs) and let let them talk. But but I think it's a valid point. There's two sides to every story, and banks aren't the villains here. Um, Yes, they probably were a little bit in uh, in 2018. 2009 but a lot of them genuinely have learned from this um, because I I get to see a lot of this insight um, and I like to think of of people as as being positive and and glass half full and all that sort of stuff so my viewpoint on it was um, no I don't think there's going to be a huge change in terms of borrowing interest rates but there is a very valid reason for that Um, and so you know People shouldn't be hanging on, waiting for drops in in lending interest rates. If you've got a project or you've got something that you're working on now, just go for it. Because if you're waiting for interest rates to go down, I don't think there's going to be widespread change in a positive way for
0: you. Can I just ask the viewers, listeners, um, if you've got any questions for Sam, feel free to put them in the message box. Uh, Jack, uh, have you got the summary of the questions from yesterday or I can pull, pull them up? Um, oh, Jack? I do, I do have them here. Um, so okay, Thank you, Sam, as well. No problem. Thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, I do have the questions up. Uh, evidently, before when this call was set up, um, COVID-19 wasn't really uh, detrimentally impacting the UK so we didn't feel it that relevant to, to put that in the agenda but now it's uh, pretty much on the agenda and funny enough uh, I'm part of a, a mastermind group and yesterday we have our monthly mastermind meetup and we did a video call and uh, in our month to month mastermind part of it is accountability so we put out an accountability tasks set that we, that we put on Trello and we re- revisit in a month's time and see how close we are to our goals and if they're still in line with our annual goals. And on that call, uh, similar to this, we were evidently t- talking and discussing our businesses in, in current climate. And on that call, it became very evident that what we had set as a goal of last month was completely written off and did not even matter anymore. Um, so we didn't even touch on any of the points uh, that we were looking at uh, in a sense that, that, we, that we were previously looking at a month ago. Um, so in, in reality, <laughs> uh, to a certain degree, it doesn't really matter what you had on your agenda last month or, or, or ongoing. It's completely shaken every business. It's unpredictable, unforeseen change in the market. Um, so the questions are on current market. So, so future-proofing your business. Um, mortgages and mortgage holidays which I'm, I'm obviously hoping uh, Mr Norris will be able to give us good insight on that and um, one thing I think is pretty key for, for, for us which is a mixed-use uh, business portfolio is is our costs and business rates is it is what is one of our larger costs so 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 maybe touching on business costs and, and, and business rates uh, and then to have a bit of fun some market predictions um, so Brendan, how do you want to do this? Should I t- discuss a little bit on, on each area and then pose it to everyone that's that's out there to, to to sort of add a bit to the meat to the bones? Well, ideally I wanna get my, my panelists involved as well. So Sam, yeah. um, it, so Jack mentioned about the uh, mortgage holiday um, and there's definitely conflicting information about that. Oh, we've got a question from Maria as well. So I have to, Jack, can you see the questions or is it just me who sees the questions on the right? Bank of England initiated down to 2.5% and now um, 0.01% while on earth mortgage lenders will hike up interest rates instead of lowering interest rates. Uh, it's it's similar to what... Sam really has been saying. Yeah, similar to your last, last um, point there, Sam. Ree would like to know... Mm-hmm. Uh, are looking to keep or increase their interest rates yeah. when the bank uh, base rate has, has been dropped?
6: Well, I think when, when that first drop happened, um, the as I said, the first um, initial kind of feedback I was getting from lenders was that it wasn't going to cause any, um, any decrease because they needed to, because it's all about margins at the end of the day, so if they're, if they're borrowing money at 1% and lending out at 2%, their margin is 1%, and that's... That's their income for for that transaction. And so it was just like any business, you know, there's various different ways in which you can stay afloat. If things are going, if sales are going badly, you can up your your prices, to try and make more profit on on what you're selling. Um, Or you can, you know, you can can try and find new ways of of selling your product. And I think the banks are doing both. Um, They're certainly, I think, going to be looking at some changes in their criteria to try and actually, Lend more, more money, um, and, and find ways of doing that. You know, there's there's, there's talk of valuations going online, and all that kind of stuff. So using technology to change the way in which they lend their money, so they can get more out the door. But of course, the other way of doing it, because they are looking to the future and they are looking at what their situation is going to be in six, twelve, twenty-four months from now. They need, um, you know, they're possibly not going to hit the targets in terms of income that they would have planned for at the beginning of the year and one way of, of making sure that they do hit their targets is to increase their margins and increase their profit on it on each product that they sell. Um, and one way of doing that, of <coughs> course, is to increase um, their interest rates because their margin will be greater. Now, as I said, the first drop happened, went to 0.25. The, the initial feedback we were getting was that rates weren't gonna go down, in fact, they might even go up a little bit. Um, take advantage of that margin. Um, I've not spoken to anyone at the Bank of England, um, but my, my guess would be that maybe part of um, the reason why there was, a am sure there was very, very many reasons, but I think one of those reasons that it went down again was in reaction to the fact that the feedback from the lenders was that this, this, um, uh, this drop wasn't necessarily going to be passed on to consumers. So this second drop might be to kind of um, combat the rise in interest rates in the borrowing market and just keep, that, keep them pretty much level. Um, but as I said before, because there's gonna be fewer transactions and slower transactions, um, and lenders are gonna be hit and banks are gonna be hit just like any other business, um, they're sort of trying to fail safe there um, uh, their, their profit margins that they predicted for the year and they based their, their targets on um, by trying to, to make a little bit more out of the, the products that they're selling and at the end of the day I know this isn't going to be a, necessarily a popular viewpoint but it is you know it's, it's up to them it's a product that they are selling it's up to you whether you want to purchase that product at the end of the day um, and, and so they have the right to put whatever rates that they want out there um, so you know, we, we kind of have to have to live with it and respect the decisions that a lot of them are making. They are trying to look
0: after the, their business like everyone else is. So, Sam, I, I just want to get some of the other uh, panelists involved, and I'm delighted we've got Kirsty on board as well. So, uh, look, I, I realise not everyone was at the summit. Let me just see if I can get Kirsty on the Zoom call. Uh let me just see if I can unmute. Kirsty, can you hear us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, great. Look, um, for the listeners out there who may not know your, your background, because not everyone was at the summit, you, you've come from a really quite heavy background in terms of retail, in terms of working with some of the most significant retail outlets. Do you just want to explain a little bit about yourself and we'll bring you into the as Well, Alex, I def- I'll, we'll bring you in next because I don't want to keep you waiting too long.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a commercial surveyor by background. I've been working in commercial property industry for 20 years and a lot of that time was spent working asset managing and developing shopping centres, working with retailers. I also headed up the Boots property team in-house for six years. Um, So I've worked on both the landlord and the occupier side um, with retailers um, and it's always been an interesting place. It always will be.
0: Mm. Do you want to address any of the questions Jack raised on the coronavirus or can I bring Alex in?
4: Uh, well, I think my, my view is uh, in terms of retail, um, the government are doing a pretty good job. So um, business rates holiday for a year is going to massively help a lot of businesses. Um, you know, there are access to loans, which is not brilliant. But and I think it's it's all going to depend on how long this actually goes on for, because most businesses can sustain a couple of months of disruption. Uh, if it goes on for much longer than that, we are going to see some losers. But it will. People will innovate
8: mm. always
4: in times like this. There's massive innovation and creativity. So we, where some people lose, other people will win, and we'll have new players in the market in no time. That's what always happens.
0: Let me First, bring. up oh. you want, do you want to delve into the, the business rates for for businesses and, and commercial landlords? And yeah what's coming in and how that's changing things and how it's streamlining obviously businesses costs
4: yeah so um what they've done now is they've given all retail and hospitality businesses a business rates holiday for the 2020 2021 year so they won't pay any business rates for a year no matter what their size so that is massively going to help because you've got all of the bigger retailers paying huge, huge rates bills. Some of them pay hundreds of thousands of pounds per store. So it is, it is going to take a massive overhead off um, their costs. Is it going to balance their loss of revenue? Probably not, um, but, but it is going to help. Um, you've also got the grants that have come in, which are also linked to business rates. So the, particularly for your small retailers, so if you've got, like I have, um, tenants in commercial investments who's, they claim small business rates relief because their business rates are £12,000 or less per annum. So they're already claiming small business rates relief, which means that it has no benefit to them because they don't pay any business rates already. But they are all entitled to a minimum of £10,000 as a grant from their local council. And those grants are up and running. I spoke to a council yesterday um, and have one in process for a tenant. So what we need to do as landlords is work with our tenants, understand what's available and help them. Um, Now, if you're in the hospitality sector, so if you're a restaurant or hotel or in that sector, then you can access up to £25,000 worth of grants. So for the smaller businesses, those grants are really gonna help in the short term. They're gonna help them continue to pay their rent, they're gonna help them keep their lights on, uh, for the bigger businesses business rates holidays is going to help so you know it, it could be worse than it is the government are not just sitting back saying get on with it now the people who are going to suffer however potentially are some of the office based businesses because it's all focused on retail and hospitality um particularly people like we work and small serviced office providers uh, because all the flexible office space people are going to be staying away um and the revenue is going to drop but they've still got to pay their business rates so uh, the office space is where it's going to get difficult uh, in my view
0: Kirsty, we, we will come back to you i just want to bring alex into the call so let me yeah, bring absolutely. oh thank you Kirsty. alex can you hear us Just give me one moment. Let me just pin the video to you. Brilliant. Uh, So do you want to just address some of the questions which Jack raised about COVID-19, the impact? Um, You know, me and Sam have done a uh, detailed video about the impact or or the effect of surveyors, but it's great to have your background as well because everyone's got a different perspective
7: yeah, I think obviously uh, on the surveying industry as a whole, I think obviously more more what's going to affect Sam and lenders is the fact that one is getting a valuer to site to value the building, and two, them doing a what we call a sensible valuation, really, because I mean where the the end value, which was uh, well, a valuation which would have predicted a decent end value, um, a sort of three or three weeks ago, now you might struggle to find a valuer to sign off a a, a sort of similar value in the current climate, so it's um that's going to be obviously the difficulty with getting new um new sort of loan agreements i suppose for sam etc over the line um but i mean for us generally i mean it kind of falls into two categories really i mean if you're looking to planning or looking about to commit into a building contract then you should be sort of reviewing your program obviously making allowance for the disruption um maybe play around with your work sequencing so uh any areas where you've got materials which are going to be a long long lead in or you're going to struggle to um to get them to site because obviously manufacturers and suppliers are going to be working a lot slower um maybe it's you're going to be chopping around your program so you can you can sort of favor those favor those um try and leave those items for as long as possible till the end of the program and get other works done um and it's probably a good time for developers to take stock on the development. So if you're if you're still in the design stage, I mean, looking at how you can value engineer your scheme, looking at is there any other ways you can change change suppliers before you commit to them. Um, so I mean, they're, they're, they're key considerations. And obviously, where on on the other hand, where where you developers have got contractors on site and development works underway, again, you should be building in contingencies. You should, be having, you should be liaising with your contractor daily just to find out what, the, what their implications are. Are they speaking to their suppliers? Are, is their supply chain safe? Um, are they worried about any insolvencies from their subcontractors? Um, how, can you, how can you sort of build, and build in the early warnings for these issues, really, um, and, and checking your build contract to see whose liability and any sort of delays fall on?
0: So, Duncan, uh, let me just see if I can – Jack, uh, Jack, you were going to come in? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll I, I bring Duncan in, in next, but Jack can come back. So yeah. you, you were going to say something. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, my, call, my call actually just cut out. <laughs> so I missed most of Alex's. Um, but I suppose, I suppose one thing I took away from a, a call I had yesterday is d- during these times, you want to be in your business contacting your quantity spare like Alex and running through everything that you need to in this in this particular time you could just sort of sit there in a bubble and wait for the world to happen and and for this virus to get worse or better or or indifferent but the things you can control you want to be uh, optimizing so getting in touch with Alex who's project managing quantity sparing a project making sure that you're not overexposing yourself on site making sure you're upping your security so your materials are safe making sure your contractor knows exactly where you stand where your sort of handover deadline is and and what you can be operating on and, and prioritizing the, the more important things so for example if you have a project you might completely neglect the landscaping currently to get it wind and watertight over the next couple of weeks uh, and then flipping that on so it's speaking to your broker to make sure all your finance products are there making sure that your mortgage is in a, a good position to sort of sit tight for a few weeks obviously the, the mortgage stuff is is something that can be done more remotely. Um, speaking to your solicitors, making sure that you've got systems in place, that if they are going to be working from home, that you know how, how you can efficiently contact them and where you might be exposed in legals currently. Um, a few people I've spoken to recently have certainly said that if you've got anything in legals at the minute to, to probably hold off buying it. Uh, we've got a few in legals too, which are subject to planning, so it doesn't really impact those anyway too much. But any immediate purchases, maybe stress test the, the product that you're buying to see if it's still going to stand up in the current climate. Because evidently, if you have something in legals, it's mo- most likely that you probably closed that off uh, and had an offer accepted to the back end of last year. And you've, you've, you've flown into legals this year to exchange and complete this year. So that unforeseen may not be your, uh, your responsibility to go ahead and, and, and purchase that. And it, it is difficult because there is change that you have to consider and, and a moral aspect comes into that too. Um, but I, I think it'll be interesting to move on to Duncan and see what he has to say about it. I'm sure he's still been busy in, in the design uh, prospect, but he's probably seen a lot of uh, developers tr- try, and, try and nurse his time to make sure things are all in place if, if everything does stop. Jack, I was just going to say, I know Pamela's got her hand up because I've put everyone on mute because there was some background noise. So that's the reason why I've put, um, Pamela, can we just go over to you? Because I know your your hand is up. I do want to bring Duncan in as well, just before we go into the care homes as well.
8: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brent. I agree with both of you guys there speaking. I think it's really important as an an FF&E company, um, we need to be brought brought into the project as soon as Possible, and, we could, and if you work with the designers sooner, we can organise our suppliers better. We can get the costs right, and we can communicate constantly with our suppliers and let our end users know what's happening. And I think that's that's part of the, the, I think the issue here is working back. is working with our um with, yes. with right. not keeping ourselves. Um, in communication all the time and making sure that we're in at the beginning so we can constantly find out what's happening and if there is an issue we can resolve it we can also get the prices right at the beginning as well so we can, plan oh, we've and we can lost... organize and we can take our projects forward
0: okay pamela we we, we had some interference there um, yeah. let me just bring duncan in duncan are you okay to come into the call yeah
2: that's fine
0: i'll just just have i brilliant How, are you there duncan oh let me just unmute you sorry duncan um oh. from um well you, you've changed the architectural practice that you were uh, based in um, for a significant amount of time I Think it's a good um, idea
8: if you bring your kitchen stuff back we just don't know what's gonna happen oh
0: oh oh let, let me uh, who who have i got online oh just just bear with me one moment let me just see who's <laughs> let me just see who's 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 on who's let me just mute is that better duncan are you there i'm here okay let's let i might have to mute someone here um but you go ahead duncan
9: yeah so um hi everybody um so we we have seen a difference obviously as everybody else is we're we're generally home working um oddly enough apart from me um but what we've already had one project um, which has gone on hold um, this week, um, so that's never a good sign. Takes me back to the heady days of two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, when we were getting similar phone calls. Um, but I, I, I think the important thing, a, a little like Pamela says, from our point of view as architects and development consultants, I think I think the important thing is to obviously not 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 panic, um, but also. Th- think ahead. So we're talking about putting in um, diligence into your projects, which should have been there before, but they really have to be there before. I think it was Alex was talking about, I think Alex or Jack were talking about site security, protection of materials, things that we would have done already without panicking or being terribly pessimistic. I think you really do need, and you possibly have a little bit of time to do it now as well, unfortunately, to put those things in place but also to future plan, Um, as Pamela touched on, look at your materials and where they're coming from, so that further down the supply chain, you are more likely to get them on time at the cost you expect. Um, So start doing that now. Um, There are, um, as our good friend Emmanuel would say, there are always opportunities to be had in a very positive way um, in any um, time of adversity. And I think this is very true. There are conversations to be had with landowners, um, small private uh, um, investors, for instance, to talk about how your developments um, will be, a, if you like, a cut above the other ones. So there is a really good opportunity here to offer services, make offers on land, look at different options bearing in mind the status we're in so not not burying one's head in the sand and saying it's business as usual because it's not business as usual um i think we all strive and we're all keeping our eye on the news and strive to keep business going as it was two three four weeks ago but we we really have to um understand and be aware that things have changed so so i think i think the forward planning thing is really important brendan
0: yeah, I, I I have to admit, Jack. Um, I don't know if Jack is still there. Hopefully, I know Jack said he's that has to be off at 9:50. But I have to admit, security's one thing which I've not considered which has come in. Look, I'm. Uh, Jack told me he has to be off, but it's amazing the amount of people on this call one, and it's amazing some of the wealth of knowledge as well. So Duncan, I just want to say massive thanks. We might bring you in again, so just, just stay there. Yeah. Um, Ruth, I want to bring you in if that's okay. Um, Ruth, can you hear me? No? Uh, Ruth, you can't hear me? Okay, um, Let let's go over to pamela because i do want to bring in uh pamela again let me just bear with me two moments and i'll just get to um pamela brilliant pamela look i do want to bring you in can you h- hear me pamela yeah yep yeah. okay pamela uh, inter people are looking at strategies and care homes not new obviously but people are looking at what do we do in these circumstances and one thing which i've noticed come up in my timeline again and again is um about care homes and and it's a little bit tricky than just building a care home in terms of the design process so let me hand over to you on that aspect yeah okay so
8: designing a care home um is If it's just a basic care home for the elderly, that's fine. It's normal design. But today we're seeing dementia um, growing and growing and growing. And often our people that have come into care homes then end up with dementia. So dementia design is really, really important. We work, all our teams go on dementia training for... design. We're a big design interior company um, as well as a fit-out company. So we work... um, quite in depth with our design projects and some of the things that we work with and I'm going to talk about now the um, the light reflector values of colors which is really important this is just one of the sectors so if we've got light reflector value of a color um, eight percent of any color range means that the client or the patient or the, the guest can't actually see the difference so for carpet it's in that sort of range, people will just walk as a a normal, as a normal carpet, so there's no space. But if you've got anything higher than an 8%, so it's 20%, 30%, it's like a step. So people think that there's a step there from colored carpet change. So going from a lounge to a um, corridor, they see it as a step, and that's when they lift their legs, full trip, and have the hip, then they have the hip problems, end up in hospital, and that causes a nightmare. So that's just a tiny point of design that we need to look into. Likewise, we also need to have a higher um, light reflector um, mark because we need to be able to patients need to be able to see toilet doors, or guests need to be able to see toilet doors, so they're not anxious. So they need a brighter colour. Um, in their colour range. So these are just tiny little things that we think about. Wayfinders, they're nice and bright. So as they're walking through the corridors, they can see different colours to allow them to get to their rooms better. So it keeps the anxiety right. There's lots and lots of ways to talk about design um, design for dementia. This is just a tiny little bit that, we, that, we, that we're picking up on. And it's really important. We are thinking about developing a care home, them, the design has to be correct for the dementia patients later on as they go through their life
0: so look um jack i do want to bring thank you pamela for that i do want to bring Kirsty back in if Kirsty is still with us on the office space because that was fascinating uh reason why i say it's fascinating i look i, I keep reading in the media let me just put jack on video so just bear with me two moments and if Kirsty is there l- let me know um I keep reading in the media about whether, you know, large corporations will consider now, is it such a great idea to have large offices in, in London and so forth? Um, what, what's your thoughts on that, Jack? Do you think that's just a knee-jerk reaction? And once this coronavirus episode goes away, then, um, you know, people go and forget about coronavirus? Or is it going to shape commercial space and specifically office Um, I mean the the, the matter of the fact is with this with this current pandemic the economy is getting crushed. A recession is defined by a decrease in economic activity which is happening currently whether people like it or not. Retail will feel it a lot more than than offices. Uh, Offices I believe Are in a better position than retail, but realistically speaking, no one that will probably be watching this this uh, this video or is on this call is going to be doing better than they were last month. That's that's that fact. Everyone's feeling it. Uh, Netflix and Tesco's and online uh, products, online training are are okay, Um, but everyone else is feeling this crunch. Um, Therefore, office owners are certainly not going to be growing any of their business. They're not going to be buying up new office space. For immediate use, people might use it as a, a good purchasing power of, of buying stuff slightly cheaper than than it might have been a month or two ago. But I don't think any business is going to be doing business growth, new business, market it. Especially, uh, I think they're going to be more consolidating their what they've got, uh, trying to reduce their costs, uh, better their financial position, uh, build a bit of a um, what I like to call a war chest or even a, a, a cash reserve. Uh, and building to, to sort of ride this storm out because it's, it's unpredictable no one knows what's going on um, and and I, I don't think anyone's going to be specifically changing strategies uh, building it you know building on what they've already got is more important than than, than moving more so into the office sector. Mm. Uh, offices are probably feeling it pretty hard right now. Jack can we bring Alex back in? Yeah, sure. yeah I, th- I think that's a good point made
7: by Jack there and really obviously being a business owner myself I think that the mentality a couple of weeks ago or a month ago was growth, growth, growth. And now it's going to be sustain, 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 really. So it's just um, really just 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 taking taking shop of really what, what the current situation is, making sure you know your burn rate, making sure you're chasing your debtors, the people that owe you money get that in. Um, and, and yeah, just just cutting back costs, really. But, like, there are opportunities. I mean, there's going to be a lot more people – um, there's going to be a lot more people online. There's going to be a lot of online traffic, social
0: traffic. Oh, Alex, we've lost you there. Are you still with us? No. Um, Alex, I think we've lost you there for a moment. Let me just bring in um, uh, Kirsty, if you can hear us. Kirsty, can you hear us? Or Jack, can you hear me? No um let me just see can anyone hear me on this call if you can yes, uh, so, uh, so you may have lost me there jack um <laughs> yes, I, I am still here um so look alex sorry uh, let me just go into record so i'm delighted this afternoon to be with sam norris sam norris of bond financial services sam you directly present at the central london property network um, I'm delighted that we still have you on the 26th of March on a virtual online. Um, like most property meets, it is going to be online over the next yep. few months. Well, yeah. i say next few months, hopefully next few weeks, but maybe yeah, months. We'll, see. If, we'll yeah. see what happens. So look, in terms of lending, in terms of funding for property development, um, it was quite good at the beginning of the year. Uh, yeah. we're now into march mid-march um and of course things change all the time so depending on when the listeners are listening to this as well so this is 17th of march and uh, who knows um uh, what what's going to be like um in april or may or even at the end of the weekend but mm-hmm. do you just want to explain sam a little bit about yourself first of all and then we go into finance
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, me, me myself, as you know, um, a a broker of bond finance, I've been doing it for 13 years. Most of that time, especially the last sort of six or seven, um, my focus has been entirely on investors and developers. So, raising funds for um, buy to let purchases, HMOs, development projects, commercial uh, mortgages, and and bridging finance all all the financial tools that investors and developers need. And uh, you're quite right, Brendan beginning of this year we got off to an absolute flyer um i think with brexit sort of coming to a close if you like or at least us having some idea of what was happening there with the um whether you're a tory or a or a labor supporter with a majority um government which you know adds a bit of strength to any um any economy um you know that happening before christmas we started the new year in you know straight out the blocks really and um you know funding levels have been high transaction levels have been high um i know that some brokers speak more about it than others in terms of transaction levels but you know i myself have just seen tons and tons and tons of activity so we got off we got off to a great start in 2020 um we was almost like we were waiting for something to happen to uh to knock us off our perch a little bit
0: <laughs> so look we've had the effect of coronavirus it's interesting i was also speaking to i don't think he classes himself as an economist but the closest i've spoken to anyone who's economist at the moment he was talking about the oil price having an effect as well mm-hmm. um look how has it changed in the last week or 48 hours or has it changed even in the last 24 hours the funding sam well, is, is it such that that's way too narrow and you have to look a little bit longer term
6: well i think the, the first the first thing that we saw was that the bank of england cut their interest rates slashed the interest rates 0.75 to 0.25 that's a big 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 cut i know that the uh, federal reserve in america have just uh tried to they kick us off our perch, if you like, um, by getting it down to zero. But, um, but yeah, 0.25, in, insane. What I've been fielding a lot is calls and texts and messages um, about, oh, where you know, I need to hold off because interest rates are going to go down. Well, it, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, you know, if you go back 20 years, then yeah, there's probably going to be more of an effect because people were on tracker rates um, a lot of the time, and so. The, they would see almost an instant impact to those interest to, to their own interest rates going down. What I'm getting a lot now is people talking about, right, I'm buying or I'm remortgaging soon. Should I hold off or should I try and delay things um, for, a, for a week or two so that I can take advantage of new rates? And, um, and I've had to say to all of them pretty much the same thing in that um, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen, um, especially not in the short term, because how... Um, interest rates actually work in simplistic terms. Is that every mortgage product that you see, um, it's not necessarily the same when it comes to to bridging and and development, but um, but certainly for mortgages, the every product that you see is actually a rate and a and a product that's connected to an individual funding line. So they might a, a bank might say, right, we're going to put aside five hundred million, um, and that's going to be our two point nine nine percent buy interest rate with a one nine nine five fee at 70% loan to value, and that's their product. They won't change that until that 500, 000, 500 million has been used. And then they will release a new product um, to replace that. And so if you look at you know some lenders, they've got 20 different rates, 20 different products. Um, so rates won't categorically just be cut overnight they will start to to go down over time um so i've said to most most of my my clients don't let this delay what you're doing because there's no certainty as to when that's likely to occur and it could be months so um and and that's if they decide to do it at all they're under no obligation to cut rates they can set their rates as and when they want and the market at the moment um you know is quite strong i do think rates will start to come down because there's a lot of liquidity in client and uh, and lenders want to and, and banks Sam, want to get that money out
0: when you say the market's quite strong in, in what reference in terms of the liquidity
6: so banks have a lot of money uh, this was our this was basically what what distinguishes any kind of economic downturn that we're going to see now in comparison to, to 10 12 years ago when we had the credit crunch there wasn't enough money now, there's we, banks have got banks are in funds more than they've ever been in the history of of, of the of the UK economy. In, in, from what I can understand, so, so so you
0: see it very differently from two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Chalk and cheese, yeah, absolutely, it's completely,
6: completely different. Um, I think the the issue that we have now is that lenders can't get the money out the door quick enough um and it's because of regulation and because of changes in taxation laws and and all these other various other things that get in the way that's what's elongating um you know turnaround times and Transaction times when it comes to purchasing and selling property. Um, it's not the lenders themselves not having enough money to, to complete those transactions. So that that's a real positive. That's something that's really strong and that's not going away. Interest rates going down, again, a positive thing. And I think over the course of the next quarter or so, we are going to start seeing hopefully a bit of an effect to that. I don't think it's going to be as much of an effect as everyone thinks that it is, but I think there is going to be have an effect. Now that's they're the positives. Unfortunately, the negatives um that we're that we're probably going to see as a result of the coronavirus are the same that we're going to see in many many other industries and that's just a general slowdown because of availability of people um you know i myself i'm literally sitting i'm actually sitting on my bed at the moment um the wife is in the living room and i didn't want to disturb her so I'm sitting on my bed at home um, and a lot of people are doing the same. I'm lucky, you're lucky. We have the technology and the ability to work from anywhere in the world. Mm. There are a lot of people that don't have that ability and there are also some, some parts of the process that require something being done in person. And the big thing, I think, is valuations. Um, valuations need to pretty much be done face-to-face. Someone actually needs to go and see a property. If and virtual place,
0: reality then, is not sufficient. It's not... <laughs> i think i actually
6: think in the future this is going off topic a little bit i think virtual reality will become a big thing in the future i think that that's where valuations potentially might be heading to which would be which actually would be brilliant for the market i think um however um the at the moment we're not there we do require for 90 percent of transact property purchase and selling transactions in the uk for a physical human being to be there and if and if surveyors are um you, uh, just disappear for two seconds um if um if the market uh sorry if, if surveyors are being forced to self-isolate and, and being at home then they physically can't go that, around
0: the properties so. that, that that is a really good point about surveyors so um whether it's bank surveyors or your own surveyor which you've employed um do bank surveyors work very differently though to your own surveyors
6: they generally use the same, same types of companies. Um, you know, most mortgage lenders will use eServe, Connells, Allied, these kinds of people anyway, um, which tend, which tend to be panel surveyors or, you know, we're seeing the vast panel being used a lot now. They're still, they're still going to be, you know, they're not going to change the way in which they, they work and it's not really going to be too much difference. I think between the people that we've got, um, uh, if you went, if you went yourself, to a local surveyor to going and, and, and getting one done through a, um, through a lenders panel of surveyors, it's still the same issue that we've got, it's just lack of people that are available. And, uh, and we are seeing that as well with lenders. Um, that, that's one of the first things I started to see was, um, I was having a discussion um, with two bridging lenders today, that usually they're really, really quick at coming back to me on, on stuff. And uh, one of them I've not been able to get in touch with since uh, yesterday morning. And when I did finally get in touch with them this afternoon, they just said, we are working on a skeleton staff. We've got a lot of people self-isolating, so a lot of people at home, but we are not as an organization set up for people to be able to work from home. And mm-hmm. so they're actually losing staff rather than staff being reallocated. I've had lots of emails from other lenders saying we are working on making sure that our staff can work from home, um, especially people like business development managers and things like that, they are able to work all over the place, but it's those, those back office people that are absolutely fundamental to the speed of these sorts of transactions, whether it be a mortgage lender, bridging lender, development lender, whatever. Um, it's those people, those underwriters, um, you know, the admin staff, the, the processing staff, the case managers, these are the people that are the unsung heroes a lot of the time of these transactions. And unfortunately, most lenders aren't set up for those people to be able to work um, outside of the office environment
0: Sam I'm not sure you can like me saying this but I will say it so to <laughs> me it feels like it's a cash market
6: it is yeah there's 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 money there's lots of money about
0: mm. but when I say cash market is for the people who've actually got cash not getting lending
6: absolutely um, I mean look at, at any point there are pros and cons to buying with cash over over borrowing Obviously, from my perspective, and I like to think that I'm quite fair. Um, if I think that somebody is better off buying something with cash, I'll always uh, advise them of that. Um, I'd rather have longevity with my clients than trying to be transactional. Um, and and a quick win is often not the way to to um, to give you know give rise to that kind of relationship. But uh, but you are right. Maybe more than others, this might be a good cash market. Um, if you can complete on transactions quickly through cash, then. That can be something you can do. And then maybe once the lending market improves again or, or gets a bit quicker, funds could be raised post um, you know, post purchase. But then of course, of course, that's got its own issues as well. But um but I think the, the the thing is with with sometimes with with buying cash is um you know you're 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 losing your cash reserves maybe more than you would if you were able to just put a little bit down and borrow some. Um, that's always that's always going to be the issue. But but you're right in this instance um it could be the difference because i think there are still opportunities out there and i said this to a client the other day there are still opportunities you know mr and mrs smith from down the road are desperate to try and move into their retirement home in malaga um still have a deadline to do that and there's there's still a pain point there you know somebody that's that's six months behind on their mortgage payments that happened before coronavirus came along so you know, they've still got a pain point there that someone needs to go and solve for them. So these pain points are still there. um, And if it's harder to get the lending because of the processing time or the unavailability of valuers, then that might give the opportunity for those that have got the cash reserves.
0: Mm. Sam, look, maybe when we can catch up in person, we can go through this in a bit more detail. I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking so many opportunities in PropTech for surveyors out there or maybe Mm -hmm. not surveyors, but using property technology. I don't want to upset surveyors either because uh, I've got...
6: Oh, I I upset surveyors on a daily basis. Don't worry about it.
0: (laughs) But but possibly when we have things like coronavirus, you can see why prop tech comes in so Mm -hmm. importantly into the equation as well. Look, we're going to have you joining us on the 20th of this month as well. Uh, which is in just a few days on Friday, Friday morning, 9am. Wasn't mm-hmm. my decision to have it so early in the morning. <laughs> um, Jack asked to do it at nine, 9am. <laughs> oh, um, bloody Jack. <laughs> yeah. So, um, um, so it's a commercial summit post review, asking those key questions. I'm sure there's going to be some finance questions, which will come up as well. Um, so look, that's this coming Friday, and then 26th, my first ever, and for many people, um, it's their first ever physical meet, which has been converted into uh, Zoom. So Zoom has done very well because of this coronavirus, to be fair. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
6: Out of it, out of every adversity, there is opportunity. I can't remember who said that, but I think it's a, if, if no one said it, I'm going to coin that. That's quite good, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah no i'm I'm sure someone must have sam so people can reach you online as well you're fairly easy to reach particularly i would say on instagram um yeah that's probably
6: my my platform of choice at the moment facebook and instagram um my name on instagram is at the sam norris i wanted to be known as the the sam norris the only um and that's the same handle for twitter as well and for tiktok for anyone that uses that um but they can also find me on youtube and facebook and linkedin by typing in my
0: name as well so a little bit of a tricky question final question it's not that hard but and it may be just hard to answer so you said one of the major challenges is surveyors at the moment um Mm -hmm. i know you said there's back office team as well Um, but in terms of how how much delay do you think the process is are we talking 10 20 percent maybe it's easier to talk in weeks rather than
6: yeah a, a good if we're talking just of, of surveyors just just to pigeonhole that particular point which which i think might become the the issue uh, for the next sort of few weeks at the very least is to make comparisons to other points of the year when surveyors are actually in high demand um because they're they sort of few and far between and there there's few on the ground which is usually over the holiday months july and august um, and over the Christmas period as well. Traditionally, those periods there aren't that very very many surveyors about um, because they they all go on the holidays at the same time, which is you know it's school holidays and that sort of stuff. At that time, you can sometimes be waiting two to three weeks for a for a, a slot. So we could that I think that's the best comparison to make is at the moment if I'm doing a bridge for a client, usually we get someone in um, three to four days, you know, max, um, and then we have to give them a few days to get the report together. At the moment. Sorry, moving forward, we might be waiting two to three weeks for those slots and then having to wait even longer than afterwards, maybe another week for the reports to come back. Now, if you're doing something like bridging or development finance, there's other things we can get going at the same time. We can be doing the underwriting, we can be doing the legal work. But for a standard mortgage where things are quite um, are done sort of in a very particular order, mm. that that's where we might see that slowdown happening because... You know, you'll you'll do the underwriting as normal. We'll have maybe some issues because there might be lack of underwriters in the office, but hopefully lenders will get around that issue and have people working from home and have the ability to do that through technology. Um, but then we'll get to the valuation stage, and some there'll there'll be then weeks of inactivity on a transaction, but before it then goes to to legals. So that's where I, I see potentially um, an issue coming about as a result of the, the self isolation, all this kind of stuff.
0: Sam, I just want to say massive thanks, not just for today but uh, for taking time out on Friday, coming up the 20th. And no just to reiterate, the 26th is a virtual event. It is on, um, but it's via uh, Zoom as well. So massive thanks, Sam, and massive thanks to the audience out there as well. Thank you. No problem at all. Cheers. So I'm delighted this afternoon to be with the Daryl and Aaron. Um, look, I'll let themselves introduce themselves in a bit more detail Aaron's going to be asking the questions I keep thinking it's a physical meet it's the first time I've done a evening networking event which isn't physical it's online but I'm really delighted to have the panel Daryl uh Rod Turner's confirmed in the last few days as well um David Lawrenson who has been in property since the 1980s so uh, long time one of the you know he's been featured in the financial times guardian i think estate's Gazette, property week any publication you can think of he's been featured um and also julie wevel who's got a strategy which i think is gaining in popularity um it's focused on care homes because people are thinking what recession-proof strategies are going to be working in this market um, I have to admit, when Aaron said R word to me about ten days ago, I said no, no, it's not. Um, the R word is recession. I don't know what the D word is. We had Brexit. Now we've got coronavirus. Coronavirus. As Sam Norris said to me from Bond Finance, who's going to be there as well, uh, virtually uh, on Thursday the twenty-sixth of March. Um, you know what? What is a D word? But uh, let, let's get the virus for the you know the um vaccine i should say uh for for coronavirus that's the key thing um look daryl lendwell relationship manager i'm not sure it's a relationship manager relationship director but the key thing is you've got a vast knowledge you came from gra- university um graduate barclays 2014 moved into shawbrook and um product orientation I don't know if that's the right word. Have I made that slightly up?
10: Yeah, you've made that up, but that's all good. So, um, I did. Uh, I did the product design at Shawbrook the last couple of years. So it's just things like what markets we we're in, credit criteria, pricing, and um, all that kind of stuff.
0: So, from my understanding, Shawbrook is a larger organisation than Lendwell at the moment. So, uh, Lendwell. I don't know if you use the word boutique. <laughs>
10: So yeah, we could use the word boutique. Um, we're small, there's only seven of us. And so it's a completely different um, animal to a big bank like Shawbrooke. But what it does allow us to do is get quite involved in the deals and quite involved with the clients that we work with. So the idea for us is kind of just a really personal, tailor-made service and use the kind of mutual understanding between us and the client to be as flexible as possible um, and facilitate deals.
0: So when you say small, the key thing for people to know is maybe small in terms of employee size, but vast in terms of knowledge, particularly when you've got not just yourself. Um, and, and not everyone I've met from Lendwell, Stephen Johnson, I have. Aaron's done an mm-hmm. in-detailed interview. Karen Bennett had a significant role in, in Shawbrook. And there's one other name you've mentioned to me who I've not personally met who did also come from Shawbrook as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Aaron, you mentioned the R word, and I, I dismissed it wrongly. Wrongly, I admit. Um, you, you did. I was going to say predict the coronavirus. You, you didn't actually predict it, um, but you understood early on in January the, the impact it was going to have. And again, I dismissed that. So, um, but to be fair, I, I'm in good company. You know, other people have dismissed the impact as well. Um, I won't ask you where you think we are Aaron in terms of the coronavirus that that's the wrong question but the right question to ask you is um recession proof your property business you you came up with that title what what do you think the panel can offer that particular evening
11: okay so thanks for having me on uh, Brendan it's always a pleasure to see you Daryl so I just want to start from from uh, from the start i'll just give you a brief overview as to why i said that we needed to do a recession proof panel it was early on when you actually look at what was happening um, as far uh, you know as far back as january and what that was going to be doing in terms of the supply side and the knock on that will have with the demand and then you start to see the lag now there are a few things that have come together in terms of a perfect storm we have the the the, the price war with saudi arabia and russia the um you know which is all all brought about by the by the whole thing around the coronavirus now let's let's separate this this is a property event on the 26th of march so we're not medical experts but having said that you'd have heard the popular saying that property is a people business so the way people are reacting to a shock to the system is something that even though this particular incident is unique there is precedent and there is precedent. Now, the reason why I thought the panel would be a good place to convene is we have Daryl, because a lot of people will be speaking about, okay, what happens to their deals that are currently going on? What happens to their rates? What happens to their lending? What happens to the availability of funding? What happens to, the, to LTVs? You know, people have some really, really deep memories of the last time we fell into the recession. And then we start to go into when you start to look at your commercial basis. What happens to rents? What happens to footfall? What happens to occupancy rates? There are a whole load of different things, and you need people who have lived through cycles and can understand the current data, and start to look back at actually what's happened in the markets. You know, how long has it taken back for China to bounce back to capacity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when it comes down to property, which is what we're all about, we need people in different asset classes. Uh, investing in different things to be able to take their view as to how they're bumping their business. Now, understand that a lot of people here have, have have started to do this process because we were already looking at the cusp of the effects of a no-deal Brexit, which I think, you know, controversially, I'm losing friends as we speak, having to mention Corona and Brexit in the same conversation, mm-hmm. which I I think might have had a similar effect if we'd had it then in terms of, of, of how. Obviously not a global shock, but in terms of how the data versus the behavior don't quite match up as much. Oh. And then, you know, then the behavior drives the data and so on and so forth. So what I really want to start by, by saying to Daryl is, Daryl, and you were here around the last recession. If, the, if you were to start with how property investors, how to position themselves, particularly in regards to how that will affect their lending uh and their credit lines uh, what would be the first thing that you'd like to say
10: yeah so i think the banks are in a much better position than they were last time around so you know people will remember some of the experiences of um some of the high street banks and quite aggressive kind of repossessions and defaults particularly on development schemes where they were kind of mid-build and that was because gdvs were kind of falling through the floor so the uh, clients were kind of breaching their, their agreements and their covenants with, with lenders. But a lot of that behaviour wasn't really driven by what I would call common sense. So as a lender, the common sense position is where whatever's going on in the rest of the world is to a large extent outside of a property investor's control. So really it's about working together to come to a plan as to how does everyone get out of this, how does everyone get, get repaid. What was driving behaviour last time around was literally a need for cash so the big banks needed cash in order to keep the doors open, keep the lights on, because there just wasn't the capital in those businesses um, to trade, ultimately. So it's a cash problem, not just um, a problem with values dropping. That, I mean, it might be wrong, but that shouldn't happen this time, because there's quite a lot of capital, capital amongst all the kind of lenders. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're in a mortgage and you've got plenty of time left on your mortgage term, in a lot of ways, there's nothing to worry about apart from focusing on making sure you can get your rent paid, and that you know that's kind of the, the key thing. If you're looking to do a deal right now, I think we're going to see some um, ability to, to fund a deal, but it was, uh, kind of lower levels of leverage than you could previously get. So, you know, historically seventy-five percent has always kind of been what's available on purchase price. I'd expect the market to kind of want to come down to seventy-sixty-five in the short term. You don't think going down. What you'd,
0: you'd, you don't see it going be below 65, Darrell.
10: I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Not, not for what I would call day-to-day assets, so kind of houses, straightforward commercial properties, uh, mixed-use properties, that, that kind of stuff. I don't think so. But I do think the market's going to price in some caution because it's not sure where values are going to go in the, in the short term. But I think the other thing that underpins all of the activity is there is still a long-term belief in the UK property market. So a lot of the reactions we'll see in the next couple of months are really about um, hedging bets because they don't know what what's going to happen in the next three, six, nine months' time. But there's, there's still a lot of long-term commitment out there to the UK property market because the fundamentals won't change through this crisis. Ultimately, people still need homes to live in. Businesses might struggle in the short-term, but long-term, businesses still are needed to, for our economy to function. And so therefore, the property market will come back. It always comes back. So in the short term, it's just around identifying what the risks are in your own portfolio and figuring out how you can make it work on a cash basis. Cash is really going to be king for the next few months.
0: So to say that that event is on the 26th of this month, 26th of March. Aaron, any final words?
11: I think, uh, thank you for that, Daryl. I think Darrell covered it comprehensively and for that respect. I think, The other question that's out there is in terms of what exactly the government's packages are going to look like, um, especially in regard to what they're going to be doing with private renters, and especially when they're speaking to the the banks and the mortgage companies. Is that going to actually affect, is that only for residential mortgages? Is it going to affect semi-commercial? Is it, I mean, what information do you have as to who can expect what? Uh, for the people who are worried
10: yeah so i think the government seems to have taken an approach of um propping up underlying demand as opposed to propping up mortgages so what i mean by that and i actually think that's the right approach it's just about execution yeah. now so if you own your own home and you know you are not being paid at the moment or you're not in work at the moment there's the possibility to get a three-month mortgage payment holiday from pretty much all the main main mortgage lenders and all the main banks it's on the responsibility of the individual to approach their lender and ask for that support. But that support is out there now. And there's pretty much, I can't see anyone not offering it. You know, there's a lot of pressure for everyone to kind of do their bit to help us through um, what will be a difficult couple of months. On the other side of it, as a landlord um, or as, even as a, um, a, a commercial property owner, a lot of the relief is sort of down to the source. So, in terms of business lending, there's now a, a government backed, unsecured loan scheme that small businesses can tap into through their banks. So what that means is the bank can offer a loan to that business without any security. So effectively it's a loan that's only secured by a government guarantee. That's quite powerful. It's going to be about execution. The banks are really going to need to jump on that and deliver it quickly because people need money now. But ultimately it seems a sensible strategy to me. So the strategy isn't about propping up the landlord's mortgage because their rent's not being paid. It's about making sure the business can afford to pay the rent in the first place. And therefore, the landlord shouldn't need any support. That seems to be the strategy. And they've been a little bit quiet on renters, but I would expect the strategy around renters to be the same. I don't think they'll focus on the landlord's mortgages themselves. I think they'll focus on the renters' ability to pay the mortgage first.
11: Okay. I I think that's that's an important distinction. It does leave a group in the middle, which is... um, people who own their own property, but also have buy-to-let properties. Now, do you reckon that the private renters in there, because I can't see anything in the packages which explicitly help people in that position, I don't know how the lenders are behaving, so for example, the likes of Paragon, and, um, you know, so, yeah, if you, can you give me a bit of an update as to how you think they're going to be reacting to that? Because these are actually strictly not residential mortgages. As you know, they're commercial, semi-commercial. And if there's, if there's a little bit of a difference in the way the numbers are acting there.
10: Yes, yeah, so that part of the market has been relatively quiet so far in terms of lender activity, but also in terms of um, government announcements. But I think by the time we get to the event on the 26th, there'll be a lot more information out there because this is a, a situation that is moving rapidly day by day. Um, it's not in the bank's interest for landlords to end up in a position where they're defaulting on loans because uh, tenants can't afford rental payments. So whilst there's not a solution out there yet that we can talk about, I'm hoping there will be by the 26th, but I'm pretty confident that it's not really in anyone's interest to um, allow the landlord community to start slipping into mortgages. I think there will be some measure of support where it's needed. And we also need to bear in mind that as you know as horrific as this kind of health and economic crisis is in the short term not everyone's going to lose their job not everyone's going to be able to um, not afford their rent for the majority of people will keep their jobs and, and will be paid it's about directing the support to those that need it the most
11: absolutely now darrell that's really really useful information i think what you said there about actually looking at the scale it's uh, almost 80 20 majority of people will be in great health and majority of people will still get back to work having said that you know which is nice to say when we're looking at overall figures but people aren't just a a big homogenous group these consist of individuals so it's important that we also recognize that there are individual concerns and because that is exactly how this this whole thing works Now. As far as the outlook goes, now, this is where I'm going to ask for a bit of a crystal ball. The underlying fundamentals of the market, as you said, are good. They're solid. They're still the same. That hasn't changed. Where do you see uh, the demand side recovering this year? Now, Daryl, I know you don't have any medical expertise, but just based on, on looking at how long the shocks last for, do you see this going on until 2022? Do you see a recovery in q2 2021 assuming we get out of this um towards the towards the beginning of the of the summer or at the beginning of
10: the autumn so daryl yeah so my my hope is that we start to see recovery as early as the end of this year that's that's my hope so i think much of it depends on the social distancing policy that that's the thing that does the most um economic damage at the moment. So it feels to me as though the government's main strategy is to kind of spread the virus out so that they can cope with those that need critical care so that not everyone gets it at once. So ultimately the same amount of people get it in the end, but they just get it over a longer period of time. So we none of us know what that period of time will look like or how successful or not successful that strategy will be. But I think it all comes down. There will be a point where kind of critical mass is reached and a lot of people have had had the disease and a lot of people have recovered from the disease. And at that point, it should be safe to start interacting again, getting back out into the restaurants, into the bars, into the cafes, propping up those local businesses and also getting people back into work and get getting paid again. I really hope that time starts to kind of creep around by the summer when the warmer months come in. There's some talk about the virus and um, not doing so well in the warm weather, which would be great for us. Um, and I hope that um, we can kind of get back out and, and get back to normal. But it all hinges on, on that to me. As soon as the social distancing policy ends, we can kind of get back out there, we can work, we can earn money, we can spend money. And at that point, things will start to recover.
11: Fantastic. So- Just before I bring Brendan back in, and I just want you to have this opportunity to share exactly what you're doing as Lendworld to support your current clients, and what you'll be offering, obviously taking in your your learnings through the last uh, economic cycle, and what people can know to rely on you for.
10: Yeah, so I think now it's about being flexible. So there's a lot of the stuff we do is uh, project-based lending, so it's refurbishments, conversions, small developments. Um, the deals that we've got in the pipeline at the moment where people are still wanting to go ahead and larger they are, they're completing, they'll carry on. I think where we can help is not so much today on those loans, it's what happens in a few months time because inevitably there are going to be some delays. You might not be able to get the builders on site so quickly, you might be held up here, here, there and the other. We totally get that, so we'll be working with clients to make sure that they've got a bit of extra time where they need it. I think if you're looking to do new deals now, The key really is just kind of understanding that people are going to be a bit cautious about what loan to value they want to go to right now. So if you're still committed and you find a fantastic opportunity, there is still liquidity out there to seize that opportunity. And we are still writing new loans. We've had to close the office. So the whole team is now working from home, but we we, we only set up last year. So we're quite a modern business. Anyway, we've already got quite a lot of tech solutions. So for us, working from home doesn't impact on the level of service that we can deliver. So we're cool with that. And if what comes to pass is that actually investor and developer demand dies down and people decide that now's not the right time to jump into a new deal, then kind of my plan for the next couple of months really is to make the most of the time by forging some new relationships um, online, video meetings like this one, and um, get to know some developers, get to know some investors. And what most people um, find frustrating when they come to get finance is that there's loads of paperwork you've got to do. Some of that paperwork's about the deal, but actually a lot of that paperwork is just about you, your portfolio, your background, your business model, your strategy, all that kind of stuff. There's no reason we can't do that work now. So I'm going to dedicate time with our clients making sure that we've got really great profiles built up on them so that when this market starts to recover and when deal activity comes back, they're in the position to borrow money in the most pain-free way possible and spend their time focused on finding deals, opportunities. As they emerge and spend less time doing paperwork,
2: now's
0: probably quite a good time to get the
2: paperwork done, to be honest. Okay, look, that's
0: that, fantastic. That. Thank, you. thank you. So, what so, I was going to say was um, look, I, I look forward to seeing you on, on the 26th as they join myself, join Aaron. Um, please, please, please do submit your questions in advance. The reason why I ask you to do that, it gives you know my panelists a bit of a heads up gives them a chance to be prepared as well so um, preparation is key yes you can ask questions on the night as well but if you have questions in advance that's always useful because i can share it with daryl one of my panelists rod turner julia Weverall, um, and david uh, lawrenson so really delighted to have that panel on the 26th i know i'm going to get the support from ronald fletcher baker they said Look, we're keen to support you. We're going to have both partners, uh, Rudy Ramdashan and David Burns on hand as well at that live meet. When I say live, it's online, online. That's the key thing to add. Please do not come to the London Bridge Hotel. Um, You can, but there won't be anyone in the hotel apart from the hotel guests um, and so forth. So uh, it is up to you where you want to listen the joy of online i prefer physical but the joy of online is you can use zoom on your phone you don't necessarily you need to use a laptop so that's the joy it's not a sales pitch for zoom either um even though it may sound like a bit of a sales pitch for zoom that's the only sales pitch you're going to get on the evening the joys of using technology so look massive thanks to daryl and aaron a massive thanks to my sponsors who've stuck with me said yes we accept that you're using online technology in fact some of them are quite advocates of online technology such as james pick of connection um and of course there's other crowdfunding um crowd of us who use online as well so um or architecture i'm sure will be involved in one way or, or another on the evening. So I just want to say massive thanks to Daryl and, and thanks also because Daryl said he's committed to helping support me on my online journey over the next few months. I didn't think I would be online so much. So thank you, Aaron, for your time today and also on Thursday, the 26th of March. Thank you. So I'm delighted this morning to be with Aaron. So I, I did a little bit of research about Aaron's surname. Um, I still would probably spell it or pronounce it wrongly so Aaron I'll leave that over to you regarding your surname and that uh, you can go into a little bit more detail but massive thanks for joining me in these turbulent times and these are turbulent times I, I, I don't want to overcook the book or anything like that I've seen people say it's business as usual and maybe it is business unusual usual in one respect or people trying to create normality in their business but hand on heart it's not really business as usual. Um, yes, it may be in a week or two, but longer term, I have to admit, when we spoke a couple, about nine days ago, you mentioned the R word. And I have to admit, I thought, what are you talking about? No. Then a few hours later, or maybe the next day, I see a post from Gavin Gallagher, Gavin J. Gallagher. And he mentioned the R word as well, Okay, maybe there is something coming. Um, Look, it surprised me the speed, Aaron. So look, yes, we have an event dedicated to recession proofing your property business. It's on the 26th of March. It's a evening event. It's online, so access to the um, interviews with the panelists. Um, just, just, look, I don't want to get too emotive on the subject, so just your own thoughts, Aaron, on where we are.
11: Well, thank you, Brendan. Uh, this, is an, this is an unprecedented time in terms of where we are in this country, but it's only an unprecedented time because we haven't been here for a while. We have been here before, and this is what people uh, do not realise, and not in my lifetime,
2: mm. but
11: ultimately history points to the future and what we've survived. Now, I don't wanna trivialize this in any way. As you would know, Brendan, I have been speaking about this since January. I've been speaking about this since January, not for people to get hysterical, but for people to be prepared properly for what is to come. Now, there are three things that uh, we know. Number one, we have no idea how long this is gonna last. So we can be certain about that. Number two, it is not going to last forever. We can also be certain about that. And number three, life is going to have to go on at whatever point it ends. Uh, Aaron, can, can I
0: that? interrupt? So point two, when you say it won't last forever, I understand this. Um, we're going to have a vaccine at some point, but it just shows to me a few things, the fragility of the ecosystem which we have right now, which isn't able to deal sufficiently without creating a crisis. I, I see it as a crisis. Most people do. Um, it's certainly not normality in in London. I you know, and, and so forth. Um, tubes are still quite busy this morning. I've seen pictures online of Underground being empty. It's it's not quite that. Um, but walking through Soho, I have to admit, even on the weekend, you could see that London was being affected and look I see some people and it's understandable saying business as usual and people do want business as usual however it's not quite when it's more um, than just um, the health condition is also the economic conditions as well of course uh, I'm going to go into a lot more detail with a number of economists over the next few days I'm really lucky in one position i I have some of the best people in the world who i'm connected to in one way or another who hand on heart have got more knowledge than i have um but that's their speciality um aaron look it's not all doom and gloom um and the panel is therefore one of the key panels of the decade i would say um you know how and my panelists, hand on heart, they don't have a crystal ball either, but I'm delighted that Rod Turner has just confirmed today. We've got Julia Weatherill, David Lawrenson, who's a best time, uh, bestseller property uh, book. It's He's been in property since 1980s, graduated from Cass University with an MBA, uh, performed really well on one of my panels a couple of years ago, presented a number of times as well, spoken at Land, national landlord association he comes i would say from a more landlord background and possibly rod turner and uh, julia Weverall. but he also understands the, the whole picture as well so what do you think the panel can offer on the 26th of, of march
11: you see at this at this point in time what we're looking for is yeah we are property people but you might have also heard the term panel about that property is a people business mm. uh, At the moment, the overriding um, emotion behind what's going on is people are are uncertain and they don't know where to turn to for support. Uh, People still have the normal concerns that will be going on day by day. They still have to find places to live. They still have uh, bills to pay for. They still have tenants to look after. And what the panel can do, having come through two recessions, is to provide uh, a degree of certainty and support and not from theory, but living through it. And um, I, I was lucky to be at Rod's workshop in January, which, uh, which if anyone was there, would see was great value to prepare for a time like this, which is all about putting the systems, the buffers in place, so you can track, dial up or dial down the activity as needed. Now, for anyone who's in property, and unsure, and uncertain about what's going to happen, and they need practical, actionable steps from experienced people who've seen one, two, three, four property cycles, this panel has come just at the right time because we have to recession-proof the business and prepare for the opportunity to serve as we come out of the other curve.
0: And I've done a little bit of a disservice, Aaron. So um, I haven't even mentioned Daryl Norcutt. So... um, so the an
11: extra panellist. Yeah,
0: an extra panellist. So
11: yeah.
0: I was going to say, Aaron, we've got Daryl Norcott as well from Lendwell. Really delighted. I was speaking to Daryl yesterday um, just to make sure that he can still be on the panel and so forth. Um, I think the mood has changed from last week, though, to, to this week as well. People do realize it's not just going to be over. In a short space of time, there are longer repercussions as well. Absolutely. So, I said, we, I don't want to make this video all doom and gloom and people head to the pub because there's no pub to head to or very few pubs in Soho. I think pubs are probably going to be closing down fairly soon for a while. So look, in terms of what the panellists can offer, Aaron, um, and, and going forward, where do you see yourself? Is it managing your credit better? Uh, and your debtors as well. Is that one of the key things which people can do? Is that what Rob, uh, Rod Turner alluded to in January? Uh,
11: absolutely. I, I, th- I think this is a great time for a total system review where you actually look at... So one of the first things I'd say in reverse is trim the fat. Uh, it's a great time to sit down because physically that's what a lot of us will have to with not being able to move around. You'll have to sit down, uh, review all the costs all the expenses Uh, review everything that's going in and everything that's coming out also expect that you might have some delays and things coming out speak to your lenders there's also a few things I'm expecting the government to to announce measures um, to have massive QE in the system interest rates are lower again there's going to be cheap money now as Darrell will probably tell you as an expert banks never stopped lending during the recession but they only lent to people with robust portfolios and with uh, enough equity, not only lent, but that made you more likely to get the lending. Now, you know, so there, there is, there is, there is going to be opportunity. Um, there is going to be opportunity if, if you're.
0: Um, what was what's if, the word, Darren? If so, there's, there's if, going to be opportunity for those who are, prepared. who are prepared. So yes opportunities comes to those who are prepared so yes. look, look Aaron I know you've got your hands full so um I, I look forward to seeing you on the 26th of March online 6 30 p.m and I know yes. before that we've got the commercial summit post review as well not any not that's this coming Friday at 9 a.m any final thoughts because I know you're quite busy yes
11: I mean the my my, my final thought is just quite simple. Keep your head up, get the right knowledge and act and we'll all get through this. So make sure you use this time to actually stock up on the knowledge, to really read through the notes, to prepare yourself to be in a robust situation because one thing we do know for sure, life will go on at some point, we will be disrupted, but we've been through this before, our assassination, and it's time for us to rediscover it and do it again. So I look forward to seeing you um, both on Friday the 20th uh, for the commercial um, summit, summit
0: post, review.
11: post review and on the 27th this the is 26
0: 26,
11: 26. 26th. Brendan I will get it right at some point but either way yes be cautious um, yes have some concerns but don't be worried and don't take it too lightly but also have some perspective uh, look out for your neighbors Look out for the, for, for the people that aren't quite in the position you are. The ones looking for your leadership, I'll be looking to see you online and Zoom.
0: Thank you, Aaron, and thank you to the listeners.